Once upon a time. Welcome to Australian Book Lovers. Your destination for imagination. A big warm welcome to everyone and a huge thank you for joining us once again for the Australian Book Lovers podcast. Our mission, if you have not been told yet, is always to bring fabulous Australian and Indigenous literature spanning a whole range of genres to book lovers all around the globe, as well as fantastic resources and information for passionate authors looking to write their next bestseller. I am Darren Kazanko, science fiction and horror author, reader, life, the universe and everything lover, and one <laughs> of your hosts and co-founder of Australian Book Lovers, coming to you today from corner country in South Australia. And I'm Veronica Strachan, aka V.E. Patton, fantasy, memoir, picture book writer, voracious reader, and your co-founder and host coming to you from Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung country on this, our episode number 69. And of course, you know, Life, the Universe and Everything is from the, the fabulous um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, Douglas Adams, and so many, so many quotes I could come back at you and say, have you got your towel, Darren, you know, <laughs> and never let a Vaughan read poetry to you. <laughs> All those kind of things. Well, you could, and I'm, you might get a, a, a sort of a, a, a stunned mullet glare at the oh. moment, only because I, when I when I pop that uh, life universe and everything in there, uh, because I'm currently it's just I'm just doing a little course on uh, it's called Super Earths and the search and how we use science to search for. Uh, possible life out there in the universe and uh, yeah so of course so a little bit of my brain has been uh, back floating through space these last few days so there you go let's start with the bingo call for 69 very important I know that people really log on to the podcast just to hear the bingo call absolutely Um, and 69 is a favorite of mine so when you hear the bingo call a call favorite of mine He's going to say 69. Well, there you go. Favourite yeah. of mine. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a very uh, down-the-line safe uh, bingo call. Yes. Yes, indeed <laughs> it is. So what about for you? Are you going to share with us any significance in the number 69? Oh, yes. From the well, kind of magical Yes. Aspects? Well, apparently the number 69 can appear as a message of support and empowerment. And there's also suggestions that 69 represents an important phase or cycle that may be coming to an end in your life and that that is happening for a very karmic reason. So Mm. these necessary endings that may or closures that may be happening will lead you apparently to find your true life path and purpose, which you are prompted to fully undertake. So. I don't know. I, I, one thing I know, which I'm hoping is ending and putting a closure just for now, is winter, um, oh, because it is just yes. uh, hanging around like an unwanted party guest. Don't um, we just? Yes, eating <laughs> chips out of the bowls and uh, looking for chocolates under oh. the cushions. Just go home, winter. You, you are drunk. But the year 1969, in celebration of our episode 1969, uh, was a quite interesting one for Australia. Now, but at the same time, I thought it'd be jam-packed with historical moments. And uh, to my surprise, well, it wasn't as jam-packed as a lot of the years we've already looked at. But still a couple Mm. of cool things happened. So a very important thing happened, I guess. On the 19th of June in 1969, the Commonwealth Consolation and Arbitration Commission 
ruled that equal pay for women doing the same work as men must be phased in by 1972. Mm. So there we go. So that's uh, obviously a very big uh, step forward for Australia. Uh, some coming out of the uh, late 69, ready to get into the groovy 1970s. And uh, Yes, although we've got a way to go, Darren, in terms of equal pay. But yes, that's that was a good a good time. Yes, yes. Well, I think... I don't, I don't know how it works now. I mean, I, for every role I've done has, has been equal with everything. But I guess when you're getting higher up into the big management roles, perhaps where there's more negotiation, maybe that's where that inequality comes. Because I'm, I'm not too sure. It's just not, I have no idea. I'm, I'm a complete penguin when it comes to that sort of stuff. <laughs> in the sense of, I haven't seen it in the real world. I've only ever seen equal. Uh, yeah. But but then no I'm, I'm not a high power CEO. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, but the penguins, they're just standing there looking in the snow. <laughs> we, they are gorgeous. Yeah, with nothing phases a penguin, you know. It's uh, freezing cold. And, you know, but yeah, so very important uh, in 1969. Also, that the an equally important aspect of 1969 is on the 16th of December, Prime Minister John Gorton announced that a withdrawal of Australian Army troops from the Vietnam War would begin the following year in 1970 so mm. common sense mm. prevails there yeah. this is the part i like mm-hmm. on the 20th of july nasa switches the main transmission feed of polo 11 moon landing to honeysuckle creek tracking station in canberra Aww. then parks observatory in new south wales which then broadcasted the mission to the world so there we come in and kick the goal at the last second on for one of the most historical moments, uh, well, so far on this planet for the human race. And Beautiful. it all came down on a Honeysuckle Creek tracking station. It, it, it did indeed. And if you've seen the movie The Dish, um, that's, that's a classic. I do love that. That's, that is quite funny where they're playing cricket on the dish. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. As you do. Yes. And I also saw that uh, apparently the last tram was, uh, well, the, the, the last tram ran in Brisbane in 1969. Mm-hmm. So the end of the tram's there. So there we go. Not a whole great deal of, of um, events, but the events in there are quite important. So really looking forward now because we are going into the 70s. Yeah, baby. With the, the times of the real Led Zeppelin albums, the real rock and roll albums. And <laughs> so I can't wait to see what's happening in Australia during the 70s. But that is uh, yeah, a little bit of 69 for this very special edition because... What powerhouse guests have we been so lucky to be uh, be able to chat with today on this, on this episode? So exciting. It's unbelievable. Yes, absolutely fantastic. So not only do we have a, a brilliant double interview with Aaron Faso and Michelle Scott Tucker, but we've also got a special guest who comes into the Riders' Lounge, Claire Roden. So it is action-packed and we need to get through our stuff really quickly because <laughs> all of these people have so many brilliant things to share with us and they're they're writing their stories is just fantastic so i'm going to dive in really quickly to meanings and origins of australian words oh yes of course the school of literature languages and linguistics australian national university we are up to h so i'm gonna there are so many really good ones so i'm going to start with one that i didn't know so have you ever heard of a huey uh only by helicopter maybe No, no, indeed. Huey is, in fact, the rain god, and the appeal, send it down, Huey, is a request for oh. a heavy rainfall, a heavy fall of rain. 
and the phrase is first recorded in 1912. And since the 1950s, apparently surfers have also yes, God's I'll, name I'll, in a request course, for good yes. waves. That's right. I just I didn't even put two and two together. Yeah. There. Yes, Huey. Come on, Huey, bring on the swells. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So theories about the origin of the word Huey range from alterations of the names Jupiter, Zeus or Yahweh to the classical Greek Huey, which is H-U-E-I, it is raining. And so you can, you know. Send, send down, uh, you can have a look at it a little bit more, but I'd never heard of that. So apparently even as late as what have we got in 2014 and out back in June, and so on behalf of Southwest Queensland, Huey, please send her down. So there you go. Now, a particularly Australian one, if I was to say the word hoon, you would of course know what a hoon is. Oh, of course, yes. They yes, <laughs> yes. I won't say? say that you're a hoon or that you spent any of your youth as a hoon. Actually, but... no, I had a panel van. It was impossible to be a hoon in a panel van. Uh, I could be many other things in a panel van, but not a hoon. Well, there you go. That's something else we have in common because my first car was a panel van. There Mind you, you it was an old Tyler's van who, you know, it just got me to uni and back and that was it, but it was still a panel van. All right. For those that don't know and for our listeners from overseas, uh, a hoon is, in fact, a lout or an exhibitionist, especially a young male who drives dangerously or at reckless speed. The origin of the word is unknown, but suggestions for its origin include an alteration of Australian English hua, which is H-O-O-E-R, a prostitute, a general term of abuse, an alteration of Australian English poon, a civil term or fool, a contraction of hooligan, and the Scottish word hoon, H-U-N-E, which is a loiterer, a drone, a lazy sort of person. So I, I think Australians have made it their own. But from the 1930s, um, you know, hoon had that meaning, a lot or an exhibitionist. And of course, these things are quite dangerous with the people doing the, the drag racing and hooning around. And there are laws in most Australian states where you are not allowed to do that anymore because it's often done in public roads and yeah people can get hurt so there yeah, you go. That's well, a, well a great movie that came out of melbourne from the early 80s called metal skin was kind of about hoon like illegal drag racing as such but um but completely off topic but there is a, a, there can be i know it's a serious subject there can be a comedic element to hoon's driving because i know you know i live down on the coast and we've got the main road and obviously the coastal road here and Every now and then you hear the hoons, you know, the look at me engines and mufflers and all that jazz. And there's nothing better than hearing a, a burnout or, a, you know, someone rah, 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 and, and but then two seconds later, they'll wow, 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 wow. <laughs> the police yeah. is like, busted, uh-huh. buddy. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, there you go. But you but can go to places and do, uh, like, uh, go to proper places to do, oh, yeah, yeah, I won't yeah. say official hooning, but, you know, uh, you know, the Thunderdome here, the Calder Thunderdome's not far yeah, from yeah. our place, or not within hearing distance, but, you know, there are places where you can... Uh, do that and ruin your tyres and make smoke and do all of those things. <laughs> yeah. So there are so many H's that I have to, you know, restrict myself to a couple. I'm going to just give you one more, and this is the uh, ubiquitous hills hoist. Ah, yes, of course, which, yeah. uh, if the world doesn't know yet, is a South Australian <laughs> invention. <laughs> yeah, oh, there you go. Imagine so, a life of wet clothes. Thank <laughs> And so now every time you put on that dry T-shirt or dry pair of shorts, 
So thank you, South Australia. <laughs> <laughs> nice little dig there. So the Hills Hoist is a rotary clothesline fitted with a hoist that's operated by a crown and pinion winding mechanism. So Lance Hill is commonly thought to have, have invented the rotary clothesline, but he adapted the existing design in 1946 by including his own winding mechanism. And it's used, you know, generically in Australia for a rotary a rotary clothesline, put it on the hills for us. Now, as a symbol, it's both positive and negative connotations in Australian culture. So as a positive symbol, it featured in the opening ceremony of the 2000 Sydney Olympics, which is a bit of a cringe if you ask me, but anyway, the cultural symbols of our backyard suburbia, the hills hoist and the lawnmower are so respectively well entrenched that they featured in the Olympics, there you go. But as a negative symbol, it stands for the dreary sameness and ordinariness of Australian suburbia. In an interview in the Herald Sun in 2007, Barry Humphreys, in his uh, role as Dame Edna Everidge, explains what would have been the Dame's fate if she hadn't met Barry. I would still be in a suburban house. I might even be dead. I would have been up to my wrists in grey water with peas and mutton fat floating in it. I would have been staring through chipped Venetian blinds at rusted hills hoists and broken plastic toys. I will be locked into the rather sad, valium-infested life of so many women. So there mm. you go. Mm. Yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a uh, sharp-pointed article or article um, statement there. But it, I mean, yeah. imagine trying to write it in uh, 2022. I mean, I, I see the developments uh, around where we are, and uh, you know, and I've seen the photos, the overhead photos for a lot of new developments in New South Wales, like in mm. the, the Sydney region and stuff, and. Yes, well, it uh, it's literally identical little squares, um, yeah. you know, with virtually, you know, with a half court tennis court backyard, and you know, you, well, a lot of these places that uh, are going up, like the new suburbs, you wouldn't fit up hills hoist in the backyard, mm. you know. Uh, That's so. all sort of side against the the garage. Yeah, it, look, yeah it's, so. it's interesting. You know, Australia has the dream to, you know, one of the Australian dreams is to own for everyone to have their own their own little quarter acre block and have their own home and you know it is still a thing but it's a bit tough with the you know not only you know uh, the land but also with the interest rates such as they are and the difficulties for for young people getting in and of course you know my kids say oh yes because they are sort of uh, around about that millennials that you know they like the avocado smashed avocado too much so they can't afford to, to get a house but you know there is all of the I guess the connections of owning your own home into what it is to be an adult and to, to have a dream and to be grounded and to find your own place in the world and all those kind of things so yeah there you go so we've got a little bit philosophical over the hills horse there we go yes it, it, it is a powerful symbol yes. indeed it's yeah. a time for the news I think it's time for the news because then we can get to the fantastic interview so let's jump into some news da -da 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 -da. So a quick bit of news for this episode 69 in, of course, what is one of my favorite months of the year, there uh, is a event coming up on, now actually the event has started, but it's going to run until the 16th of October. The event is called Terra Australis Readers and Writers Festival, 
or T-A-R-W-F, and mm. is Australia's southernmost literary festival, a celebration of books, writing, and community in the glorious Huan Valley in Tasmania. So we'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, that is the Terra Australis Readers and Writers Festival happening right now and will ha- be happening all the way through to 16th of October. So, of course, I saw Terra and thought, yay, but yeah. obviously there's a different connotation <laughs> no, to the word Terra for that one. Quite. Yeah. There is um, also the Australian Short Story Festival Incorporated. So the Australian Short Story Festival, celebrating short stories, it's in Perth, and that's going to be the 28th to the 30th of October. The Australian Short Story Festival is an annual celebration of short-form storytelling. The festival brings together local, national, and international short story authors and oral storytellers in a culturally diverse and vibrant celebration of storytelling in the shorter form. So that sounds pretty damn cool, and that is the 28th to the 30th October. So if you are in Perth, the Australian short story festival and again you'll find a link in our show notes so you can click and have a look but uh just a couple of things a couple of events to keep your eye out i mean two beautiful places of the country one in tasmania and one over there in western australia so two beautiful festivals to go have a look at i will be possibly coming up with a few spooky yuki ones coming soon but uh we're still early days in october so that is my little bit of news for today very good very good uh wanted to let you know that entries to the 2023 Stella Prize close in one week. So uh, get onto the website and have a look at that. Now there's also Writing New South Wales of, uh, along with text publishing, uh, are proud to announce the 2023 Boundless Indigenous Writers Mentorship with support from uh, the First Nations Australian Writers Network uh, and Booktopia. So thank you to those four groups who are bringing together uh, a prize that intends to nurture a powerful new Indigenous voice in Australian literature, which is fantastic. So the Boundless Indigenous Writers Mentorship. And entries for the 2023 Miles Franklin Literary Award are now open and you can find out uh, more about that um, uh, by Googling uh, or, you know, go to perpetual.com.au forward slash Miles Franklin. Under the Queensland Literary Awards, Another Day in the Colony by Chelsea Wotago has taken out the Courier-Mail People's Choice and that is a fantastic book. Speaking of the Stella Prize, Evelyn Araluen, who won the 2022 Stella Prize with her book Drop Bear, uh, which of course is beautiful poetry, uh, in conversation is in conversation with celebrated American poet and thinker Claudia Rankin, and they discuss the potential of poetry for political resistance as part of uh, the big anxiety, uh, which is um, challenges artists, scientists, and communities to question and reimagine the state of mental health in the 21st century. So really good. So check on the Wheeler Centre for that one. But so many good things happening. I mean, and yeah, there's, you know, events as you've mentioned and there's, uh, oh, I want to mention also the Berry Festival. Let me just go. Yeah, the Berry Writers Festival is on the 21st to the 23rd. So in the historic town of Berry on the south coast of New South Wales. So jump into that one as well. And check with your local book clubs, support your indie bookstores. Sadly, my indie bookstore, um, New Leaves in Woodend, has closed, which is really sad. I was chatting to uh, Woody, but yeah, he just could not keep the business going, which was pretty sad. So now I have to go back to um, ordering all my books online, which is okay. It's still, you know pays for the uh, author and uh, all those kind of things. But, yeah, that was a bit sad. But our mm. local book is, local bookstore is no longer. So 
we don't have one anymore. Well, it just means road trips now. So big road trips, unfortunately. Yeah, and so with the price of petrol. (laughs) Yeah, that's the negative. The positive, maybe explore some parts you haven't been to before, or towns you haven't seen, or you know, uh, areas that might have still have that uh, nice dusty secondhand books to to grab. Mm -hmm. You just never know. Mm -hmm. Or uh, the the markets, which hopefully will be coming out thick and strong now that spring weather is uh, finally slowly to come. And that's always a good. uh, You know, you never know. You pull over for that random market and uh, there's usually someone selling a bunch of books and you never know what treasures you're going to find mm. but speaking of treasures mm-hmm. of course we were given an absolute treasure with our interview today but i think we're going to need a bit of energy before we uh, go to the interview because it's a very there's some very powerful messages in there and some very yeah. uh, really important topics discussed by uh, two wonderful people so do you think maybe we'll just quickly pop into uh, our Reader's Cafe and just maybe have a tea, have a coffee and get ready for what is going to be an amazing show? Sounds good. Let's go. All right, let's step in. Now, what cafe are you in today? So what cafe am I in today? I think I'm in, in an encouraging spring cafe. So while I might be at one of my favourite cafes, I'm going to say Beringa up on Station Road in New Gisborne. I'm sitting outside today. I'm not in by the fire. I'm in under the veranda and I'm looking at the flowers that are coming out. I'm looking at one of my favourite iron gates across the road. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready to hear all about some new books. Tell Excellent. Us. Yes, yes. Well, I know my uh, my cafe is. I'm not. It's not an imagined cafe. It's a real one. It's just not mm-hmm. open yet. But I'm just trying to will the summer to happen because ah, yes. uh, just down the road we have a wonderful little cafe slash restaurant on the beach uh, at Port Nolunga, and mm-hmm. they actually have the cabana club. So they have all the cabana chairs and brollies and. So you can lay back in one of those under the sun and just order a coffee uh, or a cocktail, whatever you might do. But of course, this is the Reader's Cafe, so I want to make sure it is a coffee only. <laughs> uh, so that's where I am. But yes, absolutely. So it's all about reading and for you know lovers of books. And we've got some great titles that have come been submitted and you know new titles on the website. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to maybe sit here, have a sip of uh, coffee and let you know about some great titles. The first one is so cool. It is called Mysterious. Isles, and mm-hmm. that is by author B.J. Hilton. Who, so B.J. Hilton has been a wonderful guest on the show previously, and his book he has a book featured in our science fiction genre called Champagne Charlie and the Amazing Gladys. A fantastic yes. read. But yeah. this uh, Mysterious Isles it was so great to see the title pop up because it was something that he was talking about in his interview that I was lucky enough to have with him for, for the show. And so Mysterious Isles reads as follows. In the Australian suburb of South Hurtling stands the Handy Pavilion, a seemingly ordinary big box hardware store with very extraordinary staff members. One of these is Axel Platsoff, a former supervillain. Tired of losing battles to Captain Stella, Axel has taken gainful employment at the pavilion as part of an amnesty offer from the International Criminal Court. And Axel is content after a fashion. But the arrival of the rival DIY barn across the street threatens Axel's job and the jobs of all his new friends. Axel gains support and fights back the only way he knows how, only to discover that there is far more to the sinister barn 
than he had ever dreamed. Now, that mm. is Mysterious Oz, and that is actually under our fantasy. And I think, have a look at the cover, and you may get... It, it, it instantly gives you an, uh, a feeling of the, the kind of book it is. It's, it's very, I think, almost surrealistic. It's um, mm-hmm. so a very alternate world with magic and creatures, and it, it all set in hardware store. <laughs> or, yeah. shall we say, battling <laughs> hardware stores. So, very ah, cool. Yeah, there yeah, you so. go. Well, as Enid's probably just come back from Bunnings, I think that's uh, very topical. I might be able to interest him in well, that book. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so Mysterious Isles by B.J. Hilton, which you will find. So, see, I thought Mysterious Isles as in I-S-L-E, but no, Ah, it's Mysterious A-I-S. That's right, yes. Ah, Yes, I think if uh, I I haven't had the pleasure of reading the book yet, but I I do remember the conversation uh, with B.J. Hilton about what uh, he was hoping it to be. And Mm -hmm. judging by the cover, I can just say, as I sit here in my little uh, cabana drinking coffee, I would say my (laughs) guess is it's a bit of a psychedelic Bunnings adventure. So <laughs> that's how I, put, I may be wrong, but, it, but the cover definitely kisses. So yeah, apologies, um, uh, BJ, if we got that BJ, if we got that wrong, we will uh, definitely correct it. Well, it des- it's definitely an alternative <laughs> reality. We could say that. But uh, moving on to the next title, we have a. This is under our young adult genre, and this book is called Bunker Ten by author J. A. Henderson. Now, Bunker Ten reads as follows. Beneath Pinewood Research Facility is Bunker 10, holding the two most dangerous creatures on Earth, a little girl and a mouse. And they've escaped. Now seven brilliant teenagers battle increasingly bizarre and horrific dangers, trapped in an experimental underground research facility that is descending into chaos. Now, this book was winner of the Royal Mail Award, shortlisted for the Waterstones Children's Book Prize, the Angus Book Award, the South Lancashire Book Award, the RED Award, the Stockport Book Prize, and the Adaptable Prize. So that is Bunker 10 by J.A. Henderson under a young adult. If you look into J.A. Henderson a bit, you'll see he has done a whole range of books. So definitely hope to get a few more titles and maybe even have him on the show because he's a very prolific writer and the book Mm -hmm. sounds very cool for the, the young readers. There you go. Now, of course, we have a special guest uh, who was so so gracious to join us and sit back with a drink in our writer's lounge, and that <laughs> was none other than Claire Roden. And Claire has a brand new book on that's been listed on our website as well, and that book is called How to Survive Your Magical Family. We have listed it under our middle grade, but uh, as you'll hear, Claire will explain a little bit more about that, what, which ages it's going to be, who's, who are going to really love the book. But the book is pretty cool. How to Survive Your Magical Family reads as follows. Toby's family is no ordinary family. They are magical, talented and special. His father is a surgeon. His older sister is a lawyer. But his dad is also a renowned wizard, as is his uncle and his sister can influence people. His mum was special too, but she had to leave. Toby isn't any of those things. The only special thing he can do is pretty useless. Toby can talk with cats. When Toby and his sister rescue a family of abandoned cats on the side of the road and Toby spots a mysterious silver bangle in the gutter, everything changes. So that is How to Survive Your Magical Family. And it's very, so yeah, I, I think uh, people will sit, definitely uh, stay tuned for the Writer's Lounge coming later in the show because Claire gives a little bit of an insight into uh, a very unique inspiration for the book. Can I just say that it, I suspect that being able to understand and talk to cats 
may have its downfalls because you know the looks that you get sometimes from cats if say you stupid human what the hell are you thinking or so you know we might find that uh <laughs> we feel a bit put upon by some cats because yes they uh they are quite discerning let's just say yes but then we could be disappointed as well it could be uh <laughs> i like food yes i, I want outside more food yeah that's i true. want inside i want outside <laughs> i want inside <laughs> but you were supposed to be a god cat <laughs> I like food. Uh, no! <laughs> no, I think good. you're right. There, there could be some interesting um, <laughs> revelations if we could talk to cats. There you uh, go. Yeah. But I'd like to finish up with uh, just a, you know, for a few, for all of our book lovers out there, about some new titles. If you are a romance fan, if you love settling down with a good romance book, and if you love a good romance series, then I'm happy to announce that author Faye Hall has uh, been so gracious to submit her Sins of the Virtuous uh, collection series. Um, I don't know which way you'd put it. Under our romance genre, Sins of the Virtuous has seven volumes. And they are as follows. Book one, Lust and Chastity. Book two, Indulgence and Temperance. Book three, Avarice and Charity. Book four, Apathy and Vigor. Book five, Wrath and Mercy. Book six, Envy and Favor. And book seven, Vanity and Humility. So very, uh, yeah, very, very powerful little uh, words Ooh. they're used for Ooh. romance. And quite an interesting, I had a bit, obviously I had the uh, pleasure of reading the description of all of the books. And as far as romance goes, it, they sound quite uh, a little bit more. There's quite a lot of mystery involved and, as mm -hmm. well. So I thought I'd just read you one of the descriptions of book one, which is Lust and Chastity, to give our readers out there a taste of what that might be in store. Because if it's something, you know, romance, obviously we both know that romance readers are very passionate and love mm -hmm. their genre. And if you pick up a book, then what better, you know, pleasure of knowing that there's seven volumes in this series. So the first one, Lust and Chastity reads as follows. Would you surrender the pleasure of lust to become a lady of chastity? Darian Avery followed Caitlin Sinclair from England to Australia, memories of their intense love affair fresh in his mind. When they arrive, he quickly learns he isn't the only man in this new country who's infatuated with the breathtaking blonde-haired beauty. Women are turning up dead, victims to the worst kinds of depraved acts, women who fit Caitlin's description, and every clue to the murderer leads back to Darian's family. Frantic to save Caitlin's life, he sends her up north to her family, hoping to free her from the murderer's grasp. But she never makes it there. When he receives word that her dead body has been found, his heart breaks and he throws himself into a life of debauchery and sin as punishment for failing to save the woman he loves. When yet another murder occurs, Darian believes he will be accused of the crime, so he flees. He finds himself in Jarvisfield, the same town where Caitlin's family lives. But he soon learns that the murderer, who has been butchering blonde-haired, green-eyed women, has followed him there. He's in for even more of a shock when he discovers that his beloved Caitlin is not dead and has in fact been living in Jarvisfield for months. This time he will protect her. However, Caitlin is having none of it. She believes Darian has betrayed her and she won't fall for him again. No longer is she his lustful lover, but rather a lady of chastity, determined to live an independent life, one without Darian. 
So whew, there we go. You, you and that's just that. book one, yes. uh, Lust and Chastity. So right. I suspect that could probably, I think I might have to be uh, listing these in under our mystery genres as well. There's so <laughs> much in there. and But that yeah. is by, you know, romance author Faye Hall. So if you are a romance book lover, definitely uh, jump in, have a look. I think if you, you know, fall in love with the first book, then... Woohoo, your spring is set to be delivered with a whole range of uh, tales because there's all seven volumes there. So, yes, what a, uh, yeah, there we go. That is some of the new listings on the Australian Book Lovers website. As I sit here with my feet getting tanned under the beautiful, hopefully soon, summer sun of the <laughs> Reader's Cafe. Nice. Now that we are, oh, now we've got the energy from the cafe. Yes, uh, yes, restored with the cup of caffeine. Yes. yes uh, today's wonderful guest, maybe. Veronica, can you let our listeners know about the, well, the superstar opportunity that we had for this wonderful episode? Absolutely. So uh, Michelle Scott Tucker and I follow each other on social media and I saw that she had been, uh, that she had ghostwritten with Aaron Faso his memoir, So Far, So Good. So I reached out to Michelle and said, we'd love to chat to you uh, and Aaron. And she said, yes, that would be fine. Um Unfortunately, then Aaron got sick, which was no good, and we waited for him to uh, recover. But we had a fabulous chat with uh, he and Michelle and um, just brilliant about his memoir. Now, the memoir is about on connection, loss, laughter and the Torres Strait. And Aaron is a Torres Strait Islander. He's a descendant of the Samu and Kodal clans of Sabay Island. These people are warriors, but storytellers too. So a little bit of a, a blurb from the book. On his long path to success from aspiring professional footballer to actor, director and producer, every opportunity Aaron Faso had, there were setbacks and heartache. He was six when his father and grandfather both died. His fiercely proud mother and even fiercer grandmother dug deep to raise Aaron and his brothers. Belief in himself as a warrior, literally and metaphorically, made him into a fighter for better and for worse. A month into his second marriage, and just as his acting career was flourishing, his new wife took her own life. In the dark years that followed, Aaron eventually found strength and meaning in his family and in his beloved Torres Strait community. In So Far So Good, he talks frankly about love, pain, making mistakes and finding happiness again, as well as the impacts of racism and the challenges of remote communities. It's a rich and vivid reflection on life told with generosity, humour, emotion and optimism. So there you go. Brilliant book. We had a lovely, lovely chat with both um, Aaron and Michelle. So let's jump into it. I think so. Uh, and, and what a, uh, I guess, uh, what, a, what a beautifully balanced uh, opportunity because um, Michelle being, you know, so thoughtful and, and chatting and revealing about the, the process of, you know, stepping into, you know, perhaps a world that she's not familiar with. So that was a great insight. And then, of course, on the other side, you've got Aaron, who, as you're about to discover, is probably energy personified. <laughs> and uh, so your speakers might crackle a little from from all the energy. But yeah. uh, no, Incredibly what an opportunity. Really good. Yeah, Fantastic. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, or all, all listeners of the Australian Book Lovers podcast, really proud and uh, happy to introduce this wonderful interview because it was a really special opportunity, and I think you're going to love it. So, 
So welcome book lovers to an absolutely brilliant and very exciting author interview because we've gone double tonight. We have with us Aaron Faso and Michelle Scott Tucker. So I'm going to start with Michelle. Michelle's the author of Elizabeth MacArthur, A Life at the Edge of the World, a biography of the woman who established the Australian wool industry, although her husband received all the credit. Elizabeth MacArthur was shortlisted for the 2019 New South Wales State Library Ash first Business Literature Prize and the 2019 Chaz Australia Book Prize. And on her website, Michelle describes herself as much funnier on Twitter. So good evening, Michelle. Good evening, Veronica. And it's true, I am much funnier on Twitter. <laughs> I liked it. You can be really pithy in 180 characters, can't you? So, you know, <laughs> that, that, that is all good. Michelle, can you tell us where you are coming from today? Whose land are you on tonight? I'm on the country of the Jajawurrung in central Victoria, and I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Excellent. And I should have introduced myself, Veronica Strachan, but I am on the land of the Woiwurrung, just down the road from uh, Michelle on the Macedon Ranges or Gabor, and it is known to the local people. Can I say also welcome to Aaron Faso. So Aaron's a Torres Strait Islander film producer, director, screenwriter and actor. Known for his roles in Ran, wrote, wrote Area Nurse as a nurse. That was one I had to watch. Uh, East West 101, The Straits, Black Comedy, and as the presenter of Straight to the Plate and Going Places with Ernie Tingo, which I also loved, Aaron. So Aaron's the executive director of his own film and television production company, Lone Star, which, he create, which created the documentary series Blue Water Empire about the history of the Torres Strait Islands. Aaron's a board member of Screen Queensland and belongs to several government and not-for-profit advisory committees. He holds a master's degree of film business from the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Good evening, Aaron. He's on mute. Oh, no. Good, good evening. Good evening, uh, Veronica. <laughs> I had myself on mute. Um, <laughs> good evening, mate. Um, it's, it's such a pleasure to be here. And once again, um, thank you for extending the the invitation, and I'm sitting in uh, Mianjin of the, uh, the Turable Nation uh, in around um, the southeast area of Brisbane, and um, it's it's a pleasure to be here, and I pay my respects to uh, their elders past emerging, and also I acknowledge my own Torres Strait uh, uh, elders of the Zenith region, um, all, all past uh, elders uh, and emerging. So, Esso. Excellent. Now, Aaron, before I introduce our co-host, I just want to say that in your bio, you've forgotten a really important role. So you are actually also the voice of Old Dog in Little Jay and Big Cuz, which my great-grandnieces and nephews tell me is the best thing you've ever done. Yeah, look, it's uh, look. I think, uh, yeah, there's nothing like, um, you know, connecting with uh, the younger demographic and also being you know, an, an important, um, I guess, platform, you know, for, for our kids to engage. And, and, and as we all have been kids, we, we can kind of think back to those um, prolific television shows that really kind of, you know, that were quite poignant and they were, they were quite uh, informative. Uh, and when I think back, it was like, you know, there was shows like, you know, Monkey Magic, Play uh, School, mm-hmm. um, Sesame Street, you know, those type of characters, Tom yeah. and Jerry and all that kind of stuff. So I think, but I think in, in, in this day and age, it was just, it was such a, a an honour and privilege to be part of the the first 
First Nations or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander animation, um, you know, production of this kind of magnitude. Yeah. I mean, there, there had been previously, but on this kind of commercial kind of entity, this was the first. Uh, this was the first time um, of this type of magnitude in terms of really kind of up in the scale and where where it's kind of resonated kind of across the entire landscape, you know, and in, 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 into also crossed over into. You know, mainstream. It's it's absolutely um, it, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful project to be a part of, and, I, and I'm extremely proud of it. Yeah, yeah, as you should be. So, before we get too much further in, uh, good evening to my co-host. Ah, yes, good evening, everyone. And oh, this is a pretty cool damn opportunity, I must say, Michelle, Aaron. Thank you so much. Thank you both of you for jumping on the show. And look, I know our time is of the essence, so I, there's a lot of things I want to ask. Where I'm not going to be able to get to you, but the first thing I will have to ask is: rugby player, uh, bouncer, <laughs> author in Victoria, interested obviously in the origins of the wool industry. How is it that we are talking to you both this evening about such uh, what is, I'm sure, a very profound book? Yeah, look, <laughs> I think um, how we got together was that um, I, I was, I was given, I, I was actually um, pitched the idea through um, an agent, through the through the agent actually that we both share, and I, I, uh -huh. I was. I'm not a I'm not a uh, author as as such, and you know more of a you know known as a screenwriter than anything. So when when the proposition was pitched as that you know to to write my own memoirs, I said that you know basically isn't that for old fellas to write? <laughs> like, but seriously, it it it, it I've, you know it, it never it never actually entered my mind. So, cut a long story short. Um, once I agreed to really sign up for it and really kind of you know commit to it, which I will say it took about three to four years for me to really commit. Oh wow! Um, and um, what do you think was holding you back, mate? Uh, there's a lot of things that I didn't want to you know perhaps yep. uh, open up to, and and there was you know there's and you know once you read the book, Darren, uh, you'll you will see why I deliberated for three or four years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I, I felt that if I was going to tell this book, I needed to, you know, it needed to have a feminine touch to it because, you know, otherwise, you know, it, it didn't need, I, I already have a strong alpha voice. Um, so I, I needed, I needed someone who, who was going to offset that, but also understand that and, but also bring that, you know, like a, like that, that feminine touch uh, to to the to the storyline because I think um, if it was going to cross over and this is the first time that you know a, a, you know a Torres Strait Islander has you know been posed the opportunity to you know commercially or you know to be to, to one and also you know produce a memoir for 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 the you know commercial marketplace it had to I felt it had to uh, you know it had to have a have have a have a woman's touch in general anyway. Um, because I, I, why it was so important to me is because I, I've been raised by two strong, very strong um, females or, or mothers, in that being my grandmother and, and my mother, and so two very strong women. So, so that voice had to, it had to be right. It just didn't have to have to, you know, I couldn't just have you know myself and, and another male writer. And when we did go down that right, right route, and it just didn't feel right. So. 
when um, you know Michelle presented herself and and we had our meeting, you know, basically we just hit it off, um, and it was um, it was uh, it was the start, I guess, of of, of our journey, and um, and it's it's one that's you know you know I shared with with it was a person you know that, that I that I shared you know so many things with intimately that in regards to that that no one else had you know had, had known about. Otherwise, or or who was in the who was in that circle at the same time when I was, you know, either either you know recounting those those moments in time. So, so yes, yeah, so I was so so an awful lot of amount of trust had to be, you know, uh, I no guess doubt. built over a short per- period of time. What we got there, and the, and the astounding thing is is that you know this was all done over Zoom. It was done during the pandemic. It was done over in the two and a half three years. And it's a testimony, you know, what's been produced at the end is a testimony to, um, you know, Michelle and, and the way that she was able to kind of um, capture um, my my voice and, and, and the world and, and the and the times and the moments uh, that was so profound in my life that was that I was willing to actually share with the rest of the world. Well, I congratulate you both on uh, obviously getting the book together, but also doing it in such a difficult time too and using different mediums and, uh, you know, doing the Zoom meetings as opposed to, I guess, sitting there in the old-fashioned days at a table and day and night and letting things out. But uh, before I let... I know Veronica's got a whole heap of questions, but Aaron, I'm really curious, mate. Um, before the book was written and now that it has written, if uh, the Aaron now that is moving forward that I'm talking to you today, how different is that person to the Aaron if I met at the bar or a coffee house or on the streets to, at the same time today? If he hadn't have uh, collaborated with Michelle and written this book, what what do you think that uh, transition, that split between the two alternate realities are? What what's the Aaron now versus the Aaron that if you didn't get that book out? Oh look, I think um, you know the person that that's described in terms of the the latter of the book is, is very much very much me. But in terms of you know the, the the you know where the book starts out from, and you know the the journey that I've that I've been on, and and the and the and the landscape uh, and the setbacks and and the flaws that you know continually you know either you know raise their heads or you know ankle tap me from time to time i think that particular person you know is you know i i'd need you know a telescope to to look back on that person you know perhaps you know one of those those constellation high end high end scientific telescopes to look back on that point. <laughs> that's a good one uh, because I'm, I'm yeah so that particular um person yeah it, it's i mean he's he, he's still there i guess but he's he's uh, but i'm not that person you know that i was you know 20 years ago 15 years ago nor would i be that same person 10 years ago and what what also uh encouraged me because I knew that we were going to touch in, going to touch into some really kind of sensitive areas that I was, I, I, I didn't want to, you know, self-sabotage the, 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 the process and, and knowing the dark places that I'd been through previously, that, that it was time for me to really kind of, um, you know, go and go in whilst, you know, going through this process, was to also manage it by, you know, seeking professional help and talking myself through that. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, and and so that's that that was the positive that they came, you know, one of the many positives that 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 have come out of this this collaboration and, and, and telling telling my story was um, you know, you know, once and for all I've, you know, of of uh actually gone and, and sought, you know, you know, professional help in around, you know, you know, the you know, whether that was, you know, the the the, the post the, the the post uh of you know the PTSD that I've that I've suffered or whether that was you know the reoccurring rounds of you know post grief you know at certain times of the year around you know um whether that was a, a anniversary date around our, um, my wedding or my wife's death or suicide you know the time of the marking her suicide or the, the taking of her life so yeah so I, I guess you know the positive. You know, one of the many positives was was that now that you know I'm, I'm engaged in 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 with a counsellor regularly, and um, you know I, I think it's uh, gosh, should have done this ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And yeah, it once you start to do that reflection, it's amazing. You start you know peeling those layers of onion layers back, and yeah, there's oh, lots lots of goodness mate, underneath, isn't there? And it's a lot cheaper than to self-medicate or not. Yeah. Yeah. You just keep filling up, and yep. uh, at least you know it's a it's a hundred and twenty dollar lesson per week, yep. rather than you know. Well, my I, I won't even say, I won't even go there. Until, Wait, until, you've until, obviously until, done the math, mate. Alcohol bill. My yeah. alcohol bill is out, it's up there. <laughs> uh, all right, Michelle. Let's have a chat with you about the ghostwriting process. So you've written a biography before but of course Elizabeth MacArthur was you know sometime in the past and you didn't have her on Zoom to talk to how did you approach you know Aaron's story it is such a a deep and personal story what did you do to get yourself ready and and how did you tease that and create tease out the the gems and create that trust with him Oh, we, we started off by being clear about what we wanted to do. So Aaron had some really important things that he wanted to say and I had some ideas about how we'd use his personal story as a framework for fleshing out those bigger themes and ideas. So we wanted, if, if Aaron had just wanted to talk about himself, I don't think I would have been interested, but he wanted <laughs> to talk about the Torres Strait, he wanted to talk about culture, he wanted to talk about racism and trauma and uh, climate change and a whole lot of really interesting issues and so we used his story basically as as a way to bring the reader through and, and to introduce them to some of those wider issues so that made it really interesting from the beginning and then because we didn't know each other very well um, at, or at all to begin with I set up a process he could trust and through that process he came to trust me so I made it clear that whatever he told me was confidential between the two of us Mm -hmm. um, whatever we then got written down on paper was again confidential between the two of us and we could to and fro it and he could decide what went in and what didn't go in but no one would see that until he had signed off on it um, and had read it and looked at it and so within that bubble of trust it was just us talking to each other and us writing things down for each other knowing that no one else could see it mm -hmm. and we met week after week after week um, built up that, that that trust that we had and i can tell you that some of our interviews were pretty intense um, and some of them left me reeling when aaron was talking about um, his wife's suicide his own suicidal impulses about violence 
um, about some of the trauma that he suffered. But I can tell you too that I'd come out of the meeting sometimes and my family would say, all we could do was hear you laughing and swearing. (laughs) 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 And because Aaron tells a funny story (laughs) and he's an actor, he does all the voices. So, So those funny stories are in there too because like Aaron, his story is light and dark. Um, it's full of interesting things, it's intense, um, but it's really compelling. And so my challenge was to get that, in, what interested me to get that on the page, but also to get Aaron's voice on the page. He's got a very distinctive voice. He speaks like the regional Queenslander that he is. And so <laughs> it was really important to me to capture that on the page so that that also demonstrated the essence of the man. So in that sense, it was a really interesting process and much more interesting, I find, than doing a biography of someone who's been dead for 200 years because I never okay. got to find out what she thought about anything, whereas yeah. I get to know what Aaron thinks about everything, which um, is endlessly interesting. Mm. Would you ghost write again? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Michelle. <laughs> I wouldn't because this process has been so fabulous. Yeah. It's just yeah. been an absolute highlight and an absolute joy and I can't imagine replicating it with, with anyone else. Some Um, magic is designed just to happen once. Yeah, I think so. I think that's absolutely true. And I I can't imagine having this experience again. And I I don't think I want to try to do it again. I don't think it would be as good as second time around. So I've enjoyed this process immensely. um, But but no, I don't think I'll do it again. I I think um, the next circus will be my circus, not someone else's. (laughs) Can I ask you then, in a similar vein to what Darren asked Aaron about, Darren and Aaron, there we go. That's got the rhyming happening. How has writing this story changed you, your views of the world, your views of yourself? Oh, it's changed me incredibly because I've learnt so much from Aaron. I've learnt um, about, uh, in terms of craft, I'm a different person as a writer than I was at the beginning of the book, but most writers are. You get to 80,000 words down on the page and, and you've got to be better at it by the mm. end of it. Um, But I also learned about class and race. I learned about how white I am. I never had to think about how white I was before, but Aaron has to think about how black he is every day Mm. um, and and take steps um, to work around the barriers that that puts in front of him. And so that made me think about my own place and about colonisation and about racism and and how all that works. Um, And I was able to ask Aaron very frank questions about that sort of thing because whatever I asked him, any question at all, even the ones that had me thinking inside, I can't possibly ask this sort of thing, Aaron would always answer it. He was so incredibly generous with his time and and his thoughts about things. So I learned heaps along the way and not least about the Torres Strait, which is an Mm. an area that I knew very little about and that I think most Australians generally know very little about. Um, and it's just sort of this hanger on. You say Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander as a as a rote way of thinking, but the Torres Strait is its own really special place. And, and I was able to travel up there and and to meet the people and meet Aaron's friends and family. And so yeah, this this whole process has changed me um, in very deep ways. Fantastic, thank you, Aaron. Can I ask you? I'm going to dive in, Darren, and ask Aaron about racism, given that. Today, Australia is focused on the referendum. We're looking at voice, we're looking at treaty, we're looking at truth-telling. Individual states and territories are are looking at local treaties and all of that is kind of stirring and there's discussions and conversations and they, you know, in a similar way to what Michelle said, a lot of white people are going, ah, what? 
you know, how does that work? What are, what are we doing? What's it all about? As a black man, tell us your story or your experience a little bit about racism and where you think the future is in terms of those things. Look, I think, um, you know, the country, unfortunately, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much to celebrate about this country, but there's also, you know, unfortunately, we there is it's it's so systemic it's so entrenched that it, it's it's become such the norm that you know now in 2022 i think you know we're become, be, beginning to wisen up in terms of you know what's 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 kosher and what's not and and i think you know to certain you know to to you know everyday legislations or or to 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 the way that you know our communities have been have been established i mean th- these are are all embodiments or or products of um you know race either racial neg- legislation or the product of r- racial decision making and i guess um as a black man you i've just had to navigate through what has has been established mm. and and it's it's almost like you know if, if and 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 also at the same time you know wanting to aspire to be successful wanting to you know have a voice and wanting to you know create wealth so i can you know not only uh, assist you know myself through for my own wants and benefits but also to take care of my my own immediate family and extended family. So, but but that is also predetermined and determined through the landscape of racism, and it and and it exists everywhere. Um, it is just everywhere, and and it's either you know it's it, it's it's almost it is so casually thrown or thrown around, um, you know, in 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 casual conversation and as as jokes and. Mm. And look, we we grew. I grew up in the. I grew up in the eighties when um, you know after losing my grandfather and, and father at, at, at you know two weeks apart at the age of six, and 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 I saw, you know, at, at the time. I mean, women weren't you know you know barely had rights in the state of Queensland at the time, let alone black women. Mm. And 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 in the eighties, you know, having being a single parent and not understanding or not even knowing that you know. Yeah, she's a single mother, but you know her her, her actually uh, spouse has passed away, and she's actually a widow. Not even, but but just assuming that this 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 woman was a, a black woman and, and and a single parent by choice, and the looks that my mother used to get, the way that my mother was treated, the way that my grandmother and mother were both treated, being you know single 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 parents, um, you know through through throughout the eighties. And how I was, you know, treated as, um, you know, being raised in a single parent household, and and the assumption was that I never had a father. So, mm. well, well, how do you think I came along? Do you think our women make them ourselves? You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, in terms of like racism has been a constant. Racism has been a constant for me. 
but also there's change. And, and I've, I've seen changes. I've seen acts of compassion between white and black. And, and they're, they're, they're also the moments that, you know, have been quite profound, not only from, from my own family perspective, um, but also from a, from a, from a greater, you know, the wider community perspective. It's only when we have been coming to, well, when only we have come together and looked at each other in, you know, as, as, you know, with, with humanity that, you know, we've, we've actually, you know, you know, we break down those differences that make us, whether that be black or white, because then when we look at each other through, 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 through the eyes of humanity, you know, um, we can see each other for who we really are. And, um, and, you know, ultimately without getting warm or fuzzy, um, it's, you know, we're, we're ultimately brothers and sisters and, and we all, we all ultimately, um, you know, are wanting and, and striving for the same thing. But unfortunately, there's an imbalance. Mm. There has been an, an imbalance. There has been in, e- equality and inequality. And I think what, you know, moving forward as we move to, to towards treaty, you know, especially in the state of Queensland, well, I think, you know, as much as a lot of us uh, are, are angry of, of the atrocities in, in, in the past, and that will come out through treaty. I, I think through... To get to th- treaty, there's a protest. There's, there's a process of truth telling, mm. and the truth telling will will then give way to the healing, and the healing will then give away to the to 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 the discussion of treaty and what that looks like. And when I say that, that there'll be a process of truth telling, I mean there's, that, that's going to be a, an opportunity for both white and black individuals, families. Mm organization, clan groups, communities, um, you know, statehoods will be able to, you know, because we all, have, you know, if you were to draw a line down the, down the, down the sand and, and, and we've all got an opportunity or have an opportunity or a story of truth to tell. And, and I think whereby there is, there, there are truly, there, there are truth telling of atrocities that we, we, that are just simply unavoidable. But we've also got to make that a safe place for those who want to tell the truth on behalf of their their forebearers as well. That you know, from from our non-indigenous counterparts, there will uh, you know for them to be able to feel safe and to be able to tell truth about about the atrocities of their forebearers, yeah. and know that you know it's not a, not here of a blame to shame. But it's an opportunity to 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 tell the truth of the atrocities, and these are things that will be that are, are highly unavoidable. But yet we create a safe space, a safe space where we can come together and tell the truth, and it's about our truth telling from both sides, and whereby we can now you know open up the doors to healing. We can now you know walk together and reframe, to, you know, have this conversation of trade treaty where we're reframing our relationship, reframing our, our, our relationship with our non-Indigenous counterparts and, and moving forward, um, you know, whether that be, you know, the, the, the betterment of the future of Queensland or West Australia or South Australia. But therefore, this leads into the greater conversation around the voice to parliament and, and the greater conversation around the referendum. And, and it's all happening very quickly. We're, you know, mm. it's all happening over, you know, in, in a quick period of time. But we know, as, as, as we know, as, 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 you know, men and women of Australia, that, you know, the, 
there is yet a lot of work to be done, but we must be open for that work to 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 happen. And the and 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 the leadership has to come from the government, but also it also has to come from the grassroots level. It's it's almost like a three pronged three pronged uh, uh, approach that that or a multifaceted approach needs to be engaged from one from a government, one from community, and one from one from a uh, um, where the community of 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 um, indigenous and non indigenous come together to you know whether they they set up you know statutory bodies for 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 these treaty institutions to exist for for these convers- for these really important conversations to 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 take form and and it's really important because I think you know Australia as as a country Australia is has not yet lived up to its potential yeah. and, and and until we really kind of you know um de- delve deep into our history know our history face up to our history own our history you know begin the healing process that we you know we we move together as one people under under one you know uh, uh, as as a united front as as australians mm. and the thing is that you know we we've got the oldest living culture you know uh, cultures in the world of the aboriginal and torres strait islander people that is also the australian identity that is the australian identity mm. that is the australian you know that that is that is, that is the foundation that is and that is the richness of this country and that is also what we as australian citizens uh, are inherited to that is your culture and that is your history too mm. and, and that is that is the benefit of being australian you get to tap into the oldest living you know culture in the world that yeah. that has an unbroken connection to this country and the islands of the torres strait yeah but look in regards to you know, in terms of wiping racism off the face of the worst, I, I feel that'll never happen. Um, but certainly, we, we we can move together in this country, um, you know, in in terms of closing closing that divide between you know white and white and black, and and seeing each other, seeing each other as 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 Australians and, and uh, as one nation. Yeah, mm, brilliant. Yeah, that was pretty powerful words there, Aaron. And I love the way you said, uh, you know, reframing, you know, the the whole idea and the, the whole relationship, reframing the relationship. That I think is is such a, an important step forward. And and you're absolutely and I, right. And, there's and, celebration and a, as well. We have exactly. to celebrate. Yeah, well, there's there's so much to celebrate. And and I guess for me, a part of this as well was well, I will add and I will finish off. I will add that you know. There, there is, you know, like this is all about truth telling. This is all about, I mean, treaty is about our, you know, the, the, the first initial stage to the part of treaty is truth telling, you know, to engage the healing, then we get to treaty. Well, I could never ask anyone to tell, you know, in terms of, you know, you know, be, be, be compelled to, to, to tell their truth without me first telling the, 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 the truth about my own life experiences and my own journey, and 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 true change comes from, you know, from 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 the individual. Everything starts from the individual, and if if you want the world to change, one must one, one must first change himself. Um, ask not, you know, um, of those that you know you can't give yourselves, you know. So I think it's 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 a case where, you know. And it was just by default that, you know, we're moving on this path in terms of the state conversation around treaty, but also this national conversation, referendum, and how, you know, I've been impacted through, you know, um, 
colonization and so forth, but how this my book and my story leans into these discussions. But 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 for me, it's about it's a, I first must tell my truth about my journey, about the things that I'm not proud of, the things that I that I that I, that I also um, am passionate about. But the, but, but the flaws and the setbacks that I've had in my life as well, um, to put myself under the microscope, was extremely challenging. One of the most challenging um, experiences that I've ever, um, you know, done in my life in, in, in a, over a, a period of, you know, two to three, two, two and a half years, that that's what we did. Um, and that's what we did for two and a half. I mean, it was just an intense block. And look, it's it's not for everybody. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. If um, if if you if you're willing to, you know, really kind of deep deep dive and look at yourself and and face yourself, and and, and you know, really kind of question and open the question, you know, those, those those decisions, or even just look and peer back into, you know, what makes you you. Yeah, it's it's it it can be an ex, an exceptionally uh, profound and, and life changing. Um, journey but i will say it's not for everybody um but for those who embark on such a journey they'll, they'll know what i'm talking about it's interesting I, I, you use the word truth and then you also said it's not a journey that everyone may embark upon and you know there is i guess in one way we could say that you know but at this point in time and and with relation to the the blood that flows through your people you know you might be considered a warrior today but i'm wondering how much of you know what sort of how much does truth play in the in the uh, the formation of a warrior and what do you think uh, what are some other elements that uh, in in your understanding your belief uh, that makes a warrior and what other and what elements of the of a warrior today is something that we can all strive for do you think that will help bring some solutions to some of these issues i don't think it's just living your truth just living your truth living to your core core values what you know living your values and, and in terms of, you know, those core values of, of you know, respect, dignity, integrity, honesty, you know, the, those true, true principles that, you know, um, we all um, we all strive to live by or hope to try and live by. I mean, that's, you know, um, they're those, you know, I, I think they're quite common across the board. Um, the, the, and, and, and the manifestation and, and of, of living living that truth each day. I mean, really, it's and I guess you know those flaws are, are what keeps you humble. Those my flaws are what keeps in my feet firmly on the ground because you know um, I know the flaws that I have. Uh, I know my I, I know my flaws and and you know that those flaws are what what keeps me grounded because I know I can't get too far ahead of myself. I like to get you know you know there's the, the, the in the impulsive nature that I that I have and uh, I know that um, you know those flaws are there for a reason um, because without those flaws um, you know what one can easily kind of you know um, default to ego and once 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 the ego kicks in oh, the game's over you're done you're defeated because um, one's one you know ego is is uh, Ego um, is is the um, you know comes 
comes as as a good guy, but he's really the bad guy. Well, well I reckon you would have had to throw a few egos out in King's Cross over your time too. Yeah, but you know, uh, I had a pretty inflated ego back then too. So yeah. you know, um, well, I think anybody out in that in that era, that time, and that that atmosphere, yeah, I think it was it was a disco of egos, wasn't it? Really. Oh no, mate! Was, I can tell you, there was uh, there was an army of you guys, battalions, battalions, mate, battalions. Michelle, can I ask you a little bit about your creative process and and uh, what is kind of, I guess, next for you? And is there going to be any crossover to screenwriting? As you know, Aaron's got screenwriting and pr- production and and film and TV. Are you tempted to slip into his world at all? Oh, look, I'm tempted, but Aaron's hardly been begging me to join him there. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe okay. I should take the hint. <laughs> okay. so, uh, That's yeah. a lie. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> look, Aaron and I do enjoy working together, and we have lots of projects on the go. Yeah. Um, currently and and I suspect we'll continue to work together um, into the future. He keeps talking about a sequel. God help me. (laughs) Maybe we'll go there. Yeah, Um, yeah. yeah, I I am interested in screenwriting. I'm interested in potentially moving into fiction, which I haven't tried before. That's kind of an interesting world for me. And I'm just looking at a whole lot of different ideas at the moment. I'm in a very happy place in that our publisher's really happy with us. Mm-hmm. She's happy to look at anything that I might write in future, which is a privileged place for any writer to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just in, um, enjoying looking at a whole lot of different ideas at the moment and going down a few different rabbit holes. And and if any, you know, producers that I know want to option my book, we'll see how we go. <laughs> oh, very good. Erin, you also teach uh, young film, want to be producers slash authors, etc. Uh, for youngins in the Torres Strait Island. Will you be adding writing to your repertoire there? Uh, no, look, I think, you, you know, I know my lane and um, yep. I'm no, look, um, in terms of author as such, um, you know, I'd I think I'd, I'd hand hand that over. I'd, set, I'd certainly set that up and see mm-hmm. if I could earn some coin off it. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah you're a producer, Michelle, definitely. Yeah. Michelle, Michelle would be the one that would be doing the hard yard. <laughs> oh, very good. Now, tell us what is what are your messages for you know young people in the the Torres Strait? Because you know I've seen some of those beautiful shots up there, and you know you're doing your your a little bit of. Uh, culinary arts and, you know, looking at things like, you know, Top End Wedding with um, Miranda Taps or the, you know, the beautiful shots up there. It's yep. it's kind of unspoiled. Do you really want to tell people to go up there and, you know, trash that beautiful place? Or is there a way, do you think Torres Strait Islanders currently have a, a good handle on who they let in and how they, you know, offer tourism and, and cultural exposure, I guess, is, uh, is some of the things there? Yeah, look, certainly, most certainly. I think, um, you know, that's something that uh, our people, you know, whether that you look at Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander uh, people in general just haven't been able to have a, a real play in in the in the Australian tourism mm. um, space, full stop. And I think, um, you know, certainly there's been operators that have engaged in the space and have, you know, taken, taken knowledge uh, of you know sites and areas and and places and basically you know we, we've seen the same old story where you know 
most Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders engaged in the tourism agency have just been the face of, or, or there's been a mm. there's been a there's been a fair fair bit of black cladding that have gone over gone gone on you know since you know since the big rush of you know crocodile Dundee you know they put Australia on tourism on the map mm. and mm. you know the, was, you know First Nations or Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are are yet to really kind of engage and when we do engage. It's it's almost at, at, at a level where you know I, I feel that there was so many so much rains put around us and on us. So it's about again working within those constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, so to 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 answer your question, I think that yeah, look, basically like yeah, uh, um, if we're running the show, like we're by default, or you know, it, it'll have you know, we'll we'll, we'll be will be extremely, you know, we'll design business models and business plans where one, it'll be culturally safe. It'll be um, also eco-safe. It'll be, you know, we're forever, you know, watching, you know, the, the constant, um, you know, impact on, on, on people, on country. Mm-hmm. And we, we do it in a way where, where it's, you know, one, again, like it'll be conducive to maintaining and preserving not only our cultural practices, but also one where you know it 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 web um, it would um, also elevate knowledge and awareness around you know the environmental changes and the important to looking after country mm-hmm. and our connection to country and and I think you know why we you know we're we're so intrinsically connected to to our land, sea, and cosmos. That you know, if we were to lead our own tourism space, our own way, by our own, for our own, I think you know, I think you'd you'd, you'd have um, one. It'd give uh, a lot of other punters or, or tourism um, consume tourism consumers um, a lot more bang for buck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know, especially with that you know cultural immersion, but also where, whereby. You know, you, you, the the country actually speaks to you, and and you and, and at times you you need to be pointed when you're pointed out these things, how the country moves, how it speaks, um, how it evolves, how it changes. You know, from its season, how it's, you know, it goes from one form to another. I mean, those once you one once you understand that, and once once you're given those types of experiences, they're, they're lifelong, impactful experiences that you know. In my experience, when I've when I've seen seen you know punters you know have such cultural immersions, have you know it 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 had, it had uh, changed their lives profoundly forever. Yeah. So you know it's it's and that's our you know and and that's our magic. That's our connection. Our connection to a country. How we how we relate. How we speak to to country. How we converse. And how that how that how that how that conversation and that relationship is unbroken. And it's not, you know, I'm not talking about Harry Potter shit either. Look, I'm mm. talking about real connection. I'm talking about as you as as the connection that you have to your to your mother and your grandmother, it is the same connection that we have to our country and our sea country and and our our cosmos. So I think um, you know, if we were to lead the way, I think it would be one more one uh, far more beneficial for for the consumers. Two, it'd be 
obviously um, return business, uh, mm-hmm. economically viable as well as commercially viable, viable but also be, it'd be looking and caring for country. So, um, you've, you've, you know, we're, you, 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 you'll be able to strike off a, a number of key uh, pillars that, you know, when we talk about the impact of tourism, that is something, that is something the way that we care and, and the way we look after country, it'll be something that'll be holistic. And it's always a holistic approach when it's from an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspective. You're also in a really unique position, and I know we're running out of time, so I'm really quickly curious, because I, I sat through your VR documentary on uh, Paruma Island, so I think it was called Every King Tide. Yeah. Um, that was really, yeah, it was really profound, because it, it, was, it was such a, you know, this tiny little island, what is it, less than uh, two kilometres long, I yeah. think it was, and... You know, really represents humanity in one beautiful little snapshot, doesn't it? Um, you know, we have to have to get along together. You got nature enroaching on on the on the on the sands and and slowly changing and taking away the land. And you know, that's also a bit of a fault of all all of us in essence. But also using that media in a different way um, and giving people the opportunity to experience it a little bit without you know having to well, have to do without being able to get there. But I'm just wondering, a couple of things. One, is that something you're going to investigate a little bit more from a film perspective? And two, what uh, what do you think we could learn from the people of Peruma? Oh, look, I think um, you could earn, earn, learn so much, uh, learn about life, learn about connection, learn about, um, you know, um, yeah. I mean, there, there is so much you could learn from the people of the Torres Straits and particularly the people of Puruma, the resourcefulness, the resilience, the uh, look, the, 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 the love and connection that they have to their country, but also mm. how they work as community, as, the, as they work in one, as they work in one, work as one and as one people. And, um, you know, it's almost like a, a one mind, one heart kind of approach in the, uh, as a community. And um, that, uh, you know, even though that the, the rising sea levels and the threat of the sea is imminent, that, you know, how this, how this community bands together and 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 to see how they best you know kind of look at um you know whether it's lo- lobbying government um for you know the for sea walls or or for for better for the or, or for you know those emission emission re- reductions that um have you know and and the whole the whole gamut that has that has, uh, you know, profoundly impacted our, you know, our, co- our climate change and, and and our rising sea levels. But I think it, it's certainly a, a tool. The VR tool is certainly, or, or the power of film and television, is such a powerful tool to be able to, you know, tell stories, convey stories. But it also goes towards, you know, positive imagery as well. Mm. Be able to see, you know, you, your own people, your own story. Um, you know your your own narrative on on screen is has you know a, you know has has profound um, in, impacts because uh, you know when I when I was growing up you know the only the only you know I mean I was this West you know West Indies cricket team of the eighties I was I was a big West Indies cricket team mm. fan because they, they, they looked and they acted and they walked and talked and they were so cool and they looked like, like my uncles, you know. And They were pretty uh, cool. They were pretty cool. And they Did were, you have the foil sticker? 
Uh, I did have a foil sticker. Nice, and, uh, nice. <laughs> I know where you're going with that one, but um, but uh, I um, but they were they were doing things so successfully, and they were kicking ass, and they were heroes, and they were they were winning, and they were being successful, and and people were were, were championing those successes, and and that would that that was um, you know for me. And, and as a kid, they, they looked and they represented me, even though they were from the West Indies, West Indies. And that, and I and I guess you know that that was a question that I was always posed: Why are you going for the West Indies? They're not Australian. I said, Yeah, but they look like me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's saying something. Now that's huge. That's extremely powerful when 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 you when you're hearing that coming coming from a, from a six seven year old or eight year old kid. Definitely. Mm. Seeing yourself, and you are doing a tremendous amount to put. Uh, young Torres Strait Islanders and the stories from the Torres Strait, you know, the culture, the food, all of those things out in the world so that more people can share it. So, Aaron, our time is up. I am, you know, I'd love to talk to you for hours more, but who knows? You never know. We might get you back again with We're just getting two. started. What's going on? Cancel <laughs> so, plans, Aaron. And I've just realised that I've just hogged all the time. Michelle, you should have been using that in your work. <laughs> Yeah, we might say goodbye to Aaron and we'll just hang on to Michelle for just a little bit longer. So I'm, I'm Aaron... happy for you too. I'm happy for you too. Yeah. We'll tell them all your secrets. Yeah, very good. So Aaron Faso, thank you so much. Yeah, get hey, out um, and read the book. We'll tell people where they can buy it at the end so we won't waste time talking about that. Been really lovely to talk to you, Aaron. So, uh, yeah, on to your next chat. See you again. Thank you so much, Veronica and Darren. It's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you once again for extending uh, the invitation. It's it's extremely uh, appreciated, and um, you know I, I look forward to uh, reconnecting you with you at some stage down the near track. All Sounds right, good. Ciao. All right, cheers. Awesome chat with you. All the best moving forward. Take care. Ciao. So, Michelle, now that you've got the microphone, <laughs> what secrets do you need to tell us about Aaron that he wouldn't let you? Oh, I think there's not many secrets that he hasn't shared. He really hasn't. Um, yeah. he, in that book, he does the emotional deep dive. Mm. He, he mm. really, we used to joke about that Hemingway quote about all you have to do to write a book is um, open up a vein yes. <laughs> on the page. Yeah. Um, and and he really did just bleed on the page and and some of it I was we had endless conversations do you want to include this do you really want to include this mm. are you really sure that you want to include this and he mm. went away and, and did some really hard long and hard thinking about what to include and not to include in the book um, and in the end it's all in there it's mm. it's all in there the darkness um, his grief, his horror, his shame about some of the things he's done, and you know, rightfully so, he should be ashamed. It's all there, and it's, it's um, far from and, anything we could say easy. Because I mean, we're all three of us are writers here, and, uh, and so we know that there's it's, it's hard enough just to write a story and have someone read it, let alone put those deep, dark, you know, fragments yeah. of your soul on paper. Absolutely, and and people ask us, you know, is it was it really a fifty fifty split with the writing? And and I think, as a writer, you'll you'll both know that writing's not sitting at the at the keyboard tapping away like Kermit the Frog. Um, a lot of writing is what happens when you're walking the dog. It's that emotional power. It's, oh, it's definitely things through. It's the structure. And and in this book, the emotional power is all Aaron. It's all his story and his willingness to. Put it all out there and and to discuss it the good and the bad um his ideas for the future 
And I'm making it sound really gloomy and it's not. You've heard Aaron. He's just an optimist <laughs> and, and an enthusiast. Um, and his book reflects that as well. He takes us down into the darkness and then brings us back up with his optimism and his enthusiasm for the future and, and his plans for working in the industry and, and to the benefit of his community. He's, he's just astounding. He really is. And I suspect he's, you know, obviously his voice has come out thanks for the collaboration with yourself and he is definitely full of energy and uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of dark stuff but it uh, turns to a very positive, you know, outcome. What about yourself, Michelle? What uh, drew you to writing in general? How did, you, how did that become a part of your life and lead you down, you know, all those weird roads to right now sitting on a podcast talking about a book you collaborated <laughs> on? You know. Fun part. Um, I was a reader, like most writers. I was that kid who read all the books and hung out in the library and, and was an omnivorous reader. Um, and I sort of liked the idea of writing, but I didn't really have anything much to say in my in my teens and 20s, nothing that I felt was important to say. It wasn't until I was in my 30s, really, that um, I, I stumbled across Elizabeth MacArthur's story and, and thought, oh, here's something I do really want to talk about, about how... Um, Australian women farmers have been misrepresented in Australian history and I wanted to take her and hold her up into the light and and, and bring her out of, of the darkness where she potentially was. And, and to an extent, that's what I've done with Aaron's story as well. The Torres Strait is such a little-known part of Australian culture, but a really important part of Australian culture. And I'm hoping that with Aaron's book, again, we'll lift it up into the light and, and to show people what an amazing place it is, what an amazing culture it is, and what amazing people it produces. And it could be, isn't it fun? Isn't it funny the irony? Well, maybe it's not irony. That maybe that's not the correct way to use. But it is, but we'll use irony for the moment. The irony is that maybe it is you know the oldest living culture on the planet, and the I, I guess the rise in our recognition of that, and you know the integration in our society. We've just come out of this weird you know covid thing and honestly it feels like for the first time i can remember you know it's it's state v state you know like western australia does this thing queensland does this thing sa does this thing victoria does this thing and we're really fragmented and maybe this is the catalyst that we need to bring everyone together and that is recognize that we've got such a reason yes we've got to face some hard truths uh we've got to recognize some of the you know viciously bloody and disturbing and just catastrophically horrible parts of of you know the colonization some of the history there but at the same time balance that with the fact that we also have this unique ability or opportunity to celebrate integrating that into the society that is today and that will hopefully be just this amazing thread that will bind us all together again and uh, yeah they're such powerful people and such a powerful voice that i think will eventually the irony is may unite us who knows I, I, I certainly hope that's true and I hope that I see that in my lifetime. My experience of working with Aaron and his friends and his family is they've all been extraordinarily generous um, in the face of my ignorance and faux pas um, and, <laughs> and willing to, to show me and to teach me and to help me to learn things. And, and Aaron's right, once you get up there on that country, it, it, it is life-changing, it is beautiful, it is amazing. Um, and, and it is entirely possible for white people to connect to that country as well and, and sort of no one's stopping us. Mm. So, mm. so I hope you're right, Darren. I hope that in the next little while as, as we start a truth-telling process, as we begin these treaty processes, that we do all come together and, and be incredibly proud of the culture that, that this country has, this, the physical land, this culture that it, it has engendered because mm. it, it's truly amazing. Yeah, it'd be beautiful if we could all just come up with that that final 
end of the not the end of the road, but the outcome of all of this is going to be something truly magical. And if everyone has that same vision, it'll work. And uh, hopefully that's the case. Uh, but what about uh, when it comes to so you had the opportunity to go to the Torres Strait? So how did that come about? And what sort of areas did you visit? I um I managed in between uh, lockdowns because I'm based oh. in Victoria. So in in between lockdowns, I managed to um, scoot up to Cairns, where Aaron lives and where most of his family is. Um, and then he and I flew up to the very pointiest, pointy part of the Cape York Peninsula, um, mm-hmm. which is called the Northern Peninsula area. And there's five Indigenous communities up there: two Islander communities and two Aboriginal, three Aboriginal communities. Um, and I stayed up there in his grandmother's house and um, got Aaron to drive me around and, and talk. That must be one hell of an experience. It was unbelievable. I was. It was just so amazing. And then one night, one afternoon, we're sitting on the veranda at his nan's house and people just kept driving past and, and rocking up and chatting and talking to Aaron. And, and you realise what an elder he is within mm. his community and the respect mm. with which he's held within his community and also the respect that he bestows on his own elders. I was able to see all that play out in real time. I was able to listen to him swap in and out of languages because he speaks a couple of languages up there. Um, and so he'd just flick in and out of languages. And then I also, there was one guy turned up on the veranda and he just sort of went out and started playing in the garden and Aaron said, oh, we're going to go to his place for a drink afterwards. And I was like, oh, yeah, good eye. And we rock over to his place that night. And it turns out that his friend is um, the head of the cultural dance troupe in Bamaga. And I I spent all night in his beautiful garden, his beautiful tropical garden, Um, him and Aaron and I just talking and laughing and they were telling funny stories about each other. But I was able to pick Francis's brain about cultural dancing, about culture, about spirituality, about country. And again, he just answered my questions gently and kindly into the wee small hours of the night. It was just, uh, it was just one of those things you dream about, really. Mm. Um, it was fantastic, and all that fed, fed into the book and, and added depth and, and um, meaning into the book. But for me personally, what a privilege! Mm. What an absolute privilege to have that experience. It was just wonderful. So, Michelle, given that this is the first Torres Strait Islander memoir, yeah. how do we uh, encourage, open, support more memoirs? I've just finished reading uh, Leslie and, and Tammy Williams' Not Just Black and White, uh, you know, uh, Queenslander, Aboriginal women talking about some of the really difficult uh, things around the act and uh, came from Cherbourg and that kind of thing. But how do we encourage or get these stories on on paper so that uh, more uh, First Nations people can share that story and bring that beautiful understanding? Because you have had absolutely, as you've said, an incredibly privileged position to be able to go and, and hear those stories firsthand but I how have, do we get more and, and, and with and Aaron and I have managed to put it into the book I think so that yeah. other people will get that experience themselves mm. Mm. Um, but we need um, white middle class readers like us need to buy those books mm. we need to mm. buy those memoirs we need to buy those biographies we need to borrow them from our library we need to talk about them amongst our friends so that the publishers are confident in publishing them yeah mm. yeah um, so point. that they know that there's an audience out there we need yeah. to talk about them on social media we need to encourage the publishers to say this is what we want to read this is really interesting we this is these are the stories we want to hear mm. Um, mm. and it's up to us to use our privilege to do that and, yeah. and to, to push them and promote them and say, we want more of these sorts of stories. Excellent. 
I will continue to do that. That's that, oh, I won't you. say it's easy, but I will. Because <laughs> some of those stories, it's like I have to put it down for a bit. And I think even today, you know, reading um, Sister Girl, you know, Jackie Huggins' yeah. book, and I just had to put it down. And then I thought, well, how privileged am I that I could just put that down? That's not something that, you know, uh, Jackie has the opportunity to do. And I thought, oh, God, right. Exactly Take right. Take it, woman. <laughs> read the, read <laughs> the next bit. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's not exactly yeah. a hardship, is it? But if that's paying the rent, no. then that's the sort of rent we have to pay. Um, and, and I'm... I'm absolutely comfortable in doing that as i said aaron and i keep working together and i consider that paying the rent as well it's a pleasure to work with him it's no hardship mm. at all um yeah. and it's a pleasure to read those memoirs and things yeah. it's no hardship at all so yeah um it, it behooves us to do it and to get out there and, and to do more yeah absolutely brilliant last words what is your advice for aspiring writers <laughs> as a successful published writer yourself <laughs> <laughs> and the the uh, co-writer of the very well, you, you've, we've already mentioned the very first uh, you know biography of, of uh, Torres Strait Islander, but that is a pretty pretty epic little um, situation to find yourself in as a writer. It's it's pretty magical actually. Yeah, it's I, history. With, with um my writing, my advice is a just apply your ass to the ergonomic chair and get on with it. <laughs> but also, um, often beginner writers used to be told to write what you know mm. and I, that's never worked for me i'm always much more interested in writing towards what i want to know and using that. the writing process to find out more about what i want to know and and letting it take me down rabbit holes and on adventures and and do interesting things my elizabeth MacArthur book took me to england to a little village that was like a bit thicker of dibley um, <laughs> and, and it was lovely and i spent a couple of days over there in the company of the women in that village who i still am friends with and who i still talk to um, it took me all around Australia doing talks. I've met new people, interesting things. That's where the writing's taking me. As I said, it's, it's not just sitting at the typewriter tapping away. Yeah, Writing is and researching is an adventure for me and, and doing podcasts like this, that's all part of the adventure. Saying yes to writing Aaron's book was a huge adventure and mm. I must say quite a wild ride from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> quite a wild ride. Yeah. Um, and and something I'll remember forever. It's it's a really important part of my life, and Aaron's a really important part of my life now. So you know, follow what you want to know, um, and just say yes. Just say yes and do it. That's, That's brilliant. A, yeah, it's a beautiful statement. Just say yes. I like it. Michelle, tell us where we can find you on social media. <laughs> I'm on Twitter at yeah. MST. Um, at, uh, my Twitter handle is MST underscore rights. But if you search on Michelle Scott Tucker, I think I'm the only one there. Um, I have a website, michellescotttucker.com, um, and that's got links to both my books and links through to Aaron's material as well. They're probably the best places to find me. I don't hang out too much on other social media, or otherwise I'd have my head in my phone all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, and, of course, you said, or you mentioned uh, earlier on the interview that uh, next step is working on something of your own and your own voice there. And I, no secrets, of course, not, we don't want you to reveal anything, But uh, and I know we spoke a little bit off air, but how? when do you think uh, the readers out there might be able to look forward to the next Michelle release? <laughs> Oh, that's such a good question, Darren. And I have no idea. <laughs> that's usually the correct answer, though. No idea. But, but I'll rephrase that. Is there something on the way for readers out there? Um, I'm hoping that there'll be some short pieces out in the world Ooh. very soon. Um, oh, fabulous. 
not least, I'm currently pitching a piece about what I learnt from writing with Aaron um, and working on with Aaron. So there'll be some short pieces in the sh in the short term. Um, longer term, I can't imagine my next book will be for another year or two um, at the at the fastest. If I do a screenplay with Aaron, um, and we are talking, we do have a couple that we're talking about, um, then maybe they'll come out a bit sooner as well. But having watched him in his industry and how hard it is to get anything up and how much work it takes and yes. people are involved so many people <laughs> are involved um, we'll just see again I'm, it's all part of the adventure for me I'm just seeing how things spool out and and where writing takes takes me I didn't five years ago I didn't know any writers I certainly didn't know any publishers um, I was an unpublished nobody from no one from nowhere. Um, and now I've got two books out and I get interviewed on podcasts. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the uh, immediate future is basically uh, a T-shirt, isn't it? The sky's the limit from here. It could go any direction, which is the best direction of all. Look, I, look, I hope so. And again, for your aspiring writers, I do have a day job. Um, I work four days a week in a day job that I really enjoy, which involves me writing as well. Um, oh, but that's, I can, but that's I can, good. Yeah, but I can quit at five o'clock um, mm. and 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 not think about it too much. And I've, so I've got three days a week for my writing. Um, my day job is very supportive of my writing. So, you know, it is possible to have to to write and be paid to write, but also have time to write. It's it's tricky, and it's taken. I'm not very young. It's taken me a while to get here, but um, it is it is entirely possible to do that. And so, for all aspiring writers out there, yes, you can. Yeah, it's one hell of a dance. You just got to make sure you pick the right song and uh, <laughs> dance like no one's looking. It's called life, That's isn't it? Yeah, That's definitely true. good advice. Yeah, <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It has been brilliant, and also lovely to catch up to you when uh, Aaron wasn't hogging the conversation. I appreciated his time, but it's been really good to get a little bit more of you in uh, at the end. So thank you for staying on the line and yeah, sharing again so generously of your experience and your skill. Yeah, you've been no, amazing, that's quite Michelle. All right, Aaron. Aaron can talk, and I love to listen to him. So <laughs> it's it's a um, it's a yeah. very it's an excellent working relationship. Good. That's good. Yeah, no, he, he's pretty uh, inspiring for sure. Yeah. Thank you for this um, interview. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for reaching out and inviting me on and, and for inviting Aaron on. He, I know he's enjoyed it as well and, and it's just a privilege to be able to talk to you about our book. So thank you and thank you for the work you're doing promoting Australian books. Keep it up. Please come yes. and talk to us again, Michelle, when your next book's a bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> Or before. Oh, oh, before. Oh, before, when, 100%. Yeah, yes. but, you know. <laughs> no, thank you so much, Michelle. Yeah, no, thanks well. for your time. It's you're, been you're great. Take care. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thank you once again to Aaron Faso and Michelle Scott Tucker for a brilliant, generous and wonderfully interesting conversation about uh, Aaron's memoir, So Far So Good, and about ghostwriting and about oh, topics that are so important. And I just love that Aaron and really most people who write their memoir are so generous in sharing the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, and, and what they learnt from their tales and amazing to listen to Michelle on how she got into finding Aaron's voice and spent time with his family and his community. I mean, what a brilliant opportunity. So good. 
Yeah, it was. And so many powerful messages that Aaron uh, brought to the interview. And, and as you said, there was still 100 questions. There's so much I'd, I, we would love to chat. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, both Michelle and Aaron are super busy. So we yeah. thank them so much for their time because it was an yes. awesome opportunity. Yeah. Uh, but just, you know, little things, little things, uh, those those little moments in time in the interview where he would talk about certain things, but they're actually really powerful things. Like, for example, mm. you know, this um, coming together, you know, of the of Australian people mm. is going to require you know really putting truth on the table and that we're, yeah. we're not going to be able to move forward until we put truth on the table and then once we can put the truth on the table then that is also including you know make means looking at ourselves as uh, individuals as as uh, uh, a culture you know as, as a people and that means looking at the difficult parts it means discussing the difficult parts and uh, but, he, you know, he mentioned that that is also, once that's done, then we can move on to the celebrations. And I think that is the real beautiful message that I got, uh, that I that I love, the idea of, yeah, you know, and, and the fact that he said, well, how can he expect anybody or any, you know, you know, any group of people to step forward and put their truth on the line when, unless he does it himself first, mm-hmm. you know, he he's got to, he can't ask somebody to do something that he's not willing to do himself. So I really yeah. love that. And look, I think what I'd love to say to listeners is to not just rely on social media or mainstream media to be informed about voice and treaty and truth telling, but to read widely, to listen widely. And, you know, a book like uh, Aaron and Michelle's, you know, that they've put together is a great way to begin. You know, it's a memoir about somebody living the racism and living as a you know as a Torres Strait Islander man as a black man in Australia and how he has you know the ups and downs of his life and, and all the humanity involved in it and I've just finished reading also Sister Girl by uh, Dr Jackie Huggins uh, a Aboriginal woman and professor and advocate and uh, change agent and you know reading sort of some essays of hers and, and speeches over 10 years and seeing deeper into what she as a black woman faced in terms of her her life and you know really recommend seek out indigenous authors and read their stories whether they are uh, memoirs or whether they are non-fiction or whether they're fiction you know Claire uh, Coleman I love her sci-fi and there's always that element of sort of indigeneity, Uh, I'm not quite sure how to express it, but they're beautiful writers, so many great writers that you can read really widely and get a sense of the truth-telling and listen to some of the tragedies of those stories, but also how strong so many of our uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are to survive the colonisation and, you know, the attempts at genocide and all those kind of things. So, you know, I just so amazed to, to listen to somebody like Aaron talk about you know and listen to the strength and courage and the resilience that he had you know to after the tragedies in his life so just yeah amazing yeah and another thing that uh, Aaron brought up which I think that that's that sent me down um, a couple of very curious rabbit holes mm-hmm. <laughs> on my mental journey so <laughs> listeners I, I ask you for, for forgiveness ahead of what I'm about to say uh, but he mentioned that you know when people you know, one of the things he finds when people visit, you know, go to uh, the the Torres Strait Islands and or experience or have a taste, shall I say, of that that lifestyle where the his people are just so connected to 
nature and the universe so mm. that they, you know they're so so ingrained with every element of the weather with you know with the stars with the land with the sand with the it's you know it's that uh they just have a a perfect place in the sense of they their reality is so entwined with with the nature and the universe around them and i think that is something that of course would be wonderful for so many people to experience because then of course that gives such a beautiful new perspective on life and then of, and for a lot of, a lot of people that perspective when you discover it other things fall away like any sort of negative thoughts or or you know those those elements that can rear up as racism or violence and all that sort of stuff mm. you know when when you have that moment and i guess you could almost say it's a spiritual moment or or a universally cosmic moment um and but, but here's where it gets down the weird rabbit hole. It may was making me think of you know reading a lot about you know Timothy Leary back in the day and and where he was uh, you know at first he was the, the professor and that that discovery of LSD and and you know before it hit the streets and, and etc. He was fascinated with the idea of the ability to give somebody a moment of a spiritual or cosmic moment event. And, uh, a moment in time where they they become hyper aware of their place in the universe mm. the effect that it had was so profound that he thought it was should be a universal right especially where he was writing at the time you know from uh, high crime cities in america etc where he was saying unless you are brought up you know you maybe you can get a similar thing in church if you really want to get religious mm. but for the most people they, they live in concrete jungles there's no opportunity for that connection with land and and with the sky and the universe and or, or the, that cosmic connection and through himself and the people that he worked with they went to uh prisons and uh, did like a one-off dose and then followed up with the prisoners and had amazing success rates of recidivism where i think like something like 90 plus percent of people that were part of the trial didn't go back because they walked out with a whole different reality as a, a whole different respect for the cosmos and the and for life and you know and all the lines and divisions that are set by society broke down mm. um and i think it's fascinating so and that of course led to the rabbit hole of i was the just say, that is definitely a rabbit hole <laughs> it is but then of course that led me back we can't you know i'm not advocating everyone should take it i see not at all well I'm, but i hope but, not Dad, no because no that would but, be a very bad thing to suggest absolutely but <laughs> So the next thing is the power of literature and the power of, of own voice stories or the power of uh, books that can, uh, that for people that can't get to be in a position where they can experience that cosmic connection. Because we were just talking about Hills Hoists and suburbia. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, that is life. Mm -hmm. And so weather doesn't play too much part, just whether you've got to take your umbrella or not when you get on the train to go to work or whether you've got to put the wipers on on the car uh, or the aircon at home or the heater at home. That's about it. Um, you know, it's not a case of every element of nature being you know, such a vital part of your everyday existence. So that's all that round circle is the power of story and power of literature uh, to try, I think, give people the opportunity to uh, experience that that cosmic connection, which is mm. you know something that Aaron talked about, which I think is uh, you know something that should be celebrated, and I'd love to see a more a, a bigger incorporation of 
you know that that understanding that wonderful gift of awareness of the place in the universe that the oldest culture on on the world has and that yeah, we, yeah, uh, for sure. i'd love to start seeing uh come to come to more of the forefront and you know thanks to someone like michelle who who obviously comes from a completely different lifestyle um she's helped to bring Aaron's story to to all of us and uh I, I, you know and that's of course the first Torres Strait Islander biography so hopefully it opens the floodgates and then yeah. maybe we get more and more opportunities to read about a lifestyle and uh and an understanding of land and and sky and and everything around us we, we get to understand so many more aspects of it and it becomes mm. so such so more entrenched in the way we think so that we can perhaps strip away some of the negative elements that come with being in you know concrete jungles and cities and stuff mm. so yeah, there no, you go from that, <laughs> is, that is a big rabbit hole interesting yes. absolutely yeah and i love that we are seeing more and more stories of aboriginal and torres strait islanders not only in books but you know certainly you know i watch a lot more nitv there's some fantastic stuff happening at the moment there is the australian wars that director Rachel Perkins has completed over, I think she worked for like seven, eight years putting this together. And that is absolutely brilliant. And that's about from a an Aboriginal point of view, from the First Nations people who were here and the British coming in and presents a really a much more balanced view of Australian history and the fact that, you know, uh, the wars as they were, the frontier wars, were not really recognised as being part of Australian history, you know, by the British. Not that they hadn't done this for, you know, uh, other countries as well. But yeah, the Australian Wars is definitely worth watching on SBS. Um, you can do that. And also there's a oh, servant and slave. So that's the stories of four women, uh, four Aboriginal women who uh, were taken from families and sent out as domestics out into you know rural uh, properties and and their experiences and then coming into the city um but there's also a great one called history bites back and that really is you know the using a sense of humor and a little bit of tongue-in-cheek and you know great different aspects of of how to tell stories and so many of the of the oral so much sorry so much of the oral history uh that is has been the way that uh, Aboriginal um, culture has survived for, you know, 16, 70,000 years. It's fantastic to see it being shared using, you know, other media so that more people mm. can get uh, a sense of that connection to country uh, that people do. So, yeah. Brilliant. And I, and I think, and I think my completely off the wall sort of uh, circle of rabbits there. Uh, but in essence, yeah, I think you know, the, as there should be, there's a lot of talk about you know the true history of colonisation in Australia mm, and a lot of the mm. atrocities. Absolutely, um, there's, that has to be brought to the table. It has to be discussed. I don't know at what point what, what the outcome is with all that, as far as you know whether we. Re- change history to be more accurate what whatever comes from that it has to come and it will happen and mm. it is you know stuff we need to look at but how do we what steps are we taking i mean it's easy to talk about you know and just say oh you know our our relationship to land or our, our relationship to country mm. but how do we bring that i mean i mean i you and i are a little bit different in the sense of we love 
nature and I mean I just got back from you know six days in the Flinders Ranges in the middle mm. of nowhere with you know hanging out with emus and rock wallabies <laughs> and sleeping under the stars and you know that's I love that uh, so I, I do feel a connection you know I, I, I spend a lot of time in all different areas of Australia and out in remote areas and you know I, I, I can take that time to listen to the rhythm to to, to feel the, the power around me to feel that you know the energy and the history uh you know of of the country the land that mm, i'm standing on mm. but sydney melbourne brisbane you know perth hobart people that are living in a city and and may not normally necessarily get out and have those opportunities how do we bring that in i'm really hoping that the the voices or or the tales in in some really good you know literature i'm hoping that can at least halfway get somebody either to experience it through words or motivate them enough to go out and experience it for themselves. Mm. And I think because we say always connection to land, but, you know, it's a very abstract notion for 90% of us really, isn't it? Uh, It is, although it's interesting, you know, when we have a chat, uh, you know, the chat we have coming up with Claire Roden in in the Riders Land and the local park and the small inspiration that she got there. So we don't have to always look for the big stuff. Sometimes it is just getting under a tree and there are plenty out there you know there find a tree find a bit of grass people and just give yourself a minute to stop oh i agree 100 percent. i think Mm. if you picked up a blade of grass and had a good look you'd find the universe (laughs) in there well i've been picking grass for my new chickens there there's a segue for you Um, (laughs) (laughs) because currently there you know we we have three new ladies uh in the flock and, and so we try and leave them in the the hen house so that they know that this is this is home and this is where they can be safe and so i've been hand feeding them some grass along with their seeds so tomorrow they'll get out and about in the garden they get a really good life if they come and live at our place at the strackens but uh yes so blades of grass really interesting there we go. Will there be plenty of blades of grass at the moment with all the rain? But, uh, but no, but uh, in short, uh, to both Aaron and Michelle, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was, you know, it was a real, real privilege to chat with you both. And yes. I, I suspect that the uh, collaboration has definitely not ended with uh, So Far So Good. And uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what surprises may be coming in the future. Um, you know, whether they do work on a screenplay together or mm. Uh, mm. maybe, as, as you heard in the interview, the possibility. Although, <laughs> uh, of, of a sequel, um, but you know, it was like I think it might be like Daniel Craig when when remember when they asked him if he was going to do another Bond and he basically oh, said so that's no another way. Anniversary. And that, but, and yes, that's another anniversary. Is it? It's fifty years since uh, Doctor No, since the first oh, I don't, I don't know, James Bond much. movie. I think my husband was telling me that. So yeah. Oh, I'm he's, not that he's, big he's a, a Bond fan. A, a Bond fanatic. So there you go. Oh, All right. Wow. So thank you, got, thank you to yes. Uh, Aaron and Michelle, and now maybe it's time to, uh, yeah, well, let's wind down with a, a drink in uh, maybe the writer's lounge. I, th- yes. I feel like it's time for a bit of a drink. Definitely. Uh, I'm not going to go with my CD underground one this no? time. No, because I'm really trying to usher in spring. Like I really, winter needs a good <laughs> proverbial punch, like a friendly one. Yeah. But, but yeah. just like a go away winter. So right. uh, I think this lounge is, yeah, I think this one's on the beach. Everything's beach today. So okay. this is a beach lounge and uh, yeah, s- sitting out on the on the balcony. Got the, got the sun on my back mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people skateboarding past, the waves ah, are cracking. Good. So uh, let's, let's go in. Of course, there's still jazz music. Love jazz music <laughs> in the lounge bar. Where's your lounge bar today? Well, I, I'm sort of 
allow myself to jump into yours and I was going to say there has to be jazz because that really is the by the beach late Sunday afternoon a few old blokes just you know in the background yep yeah, yeah, I love I mean, it. Let's bring it on. I'm a heavy metal man, but when I, if I'm going to go sit in a bar, yeah, just a little <laughs> bit of jazz. Let's slow it down. Let's step on in. Listeners, we are in the Writers' Lounge again, and we are absolutely thrilled to have with us Claire Roden. Now, we haven't seen Claire since back in the days of the Romance Panel, which was way back when Claire was trying her hand moving from sci-fi and fantasy into romance. But now she's moved into middle grade. And I want to tell you a little bit about Claire before we, you know, get her to say hello. She started writing stories as a young child and never really stopped. And that's pretty obvious. She's the author of four novels and many short stories. She lives in Bunranong country in the southeast suburbs of Melbourne, Australia, with her husband and a highly intelligent poodle cross called Erin. I have to check whether that's the way to say um, the poodle cross's name. So Claire's writing is inspired by society, culture and the march of history, but mostly by dreams. Her thought-provoking stories and accessible characters inspire hope and optimism through challenging times. And her novels range from the dystopian world of the Chronicles of the Pale trilogy, which I love, to her World War I novel, Stars in the Night, which I also love, based on her PH studies into the literature of the First World War. Claire's short stories range from sweet to devastating, happy ever after to the end of everything, and usually in a canine character but I'm just going to say that not necessarily in this new book so welcome to the writer's lounge Claire. Oh thank you very much for that uh, nice introduction and yes Erin <laughs> is is my Aaron? dog. Okay. Um, yeah so that's a uh, she doesn't know how it's spelt so it's okay she doesn't realize that I've um, gifted uh, her <laughs> with a weird name. So. so she doesn't have to continue to spell it every time. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, very, so very, it's, good. It's, very good. It's not, not too cruel on her. Um, okay. Yes, cats and dogs. Dogs get a mention, but they don't actually feature as characters in this ah, book because I dreamt about a cat. So this ah. was inspired about a dream. I dreamt I was in a car that uh, ran over a cat on a rainy, <gasps> windy night. Oh, no. We stopped and jumped out. There was no cat, but there oh. was a silver bangle on the ground. Wow. Literally, when I picked up the single bangle, the silver bangle, it turned into a cat in <gasps> my arms in the dream. Brilliant. What? Yes, Claire. so this is the start of the... <laughs> I suspect now that you were just talking about how uh, the dog, your dog doesn't know, care for the spelling. <laughs> yes. However, the, this dream may have a lot more symbolism than he thinks. So, Ooh, dude, oh, go it, on. So it's me. A bangle, but then maybe it was telling you to get a bangle cat. Yes. <laughs> a twist on the spelling. There we are. Yes. Oh. So Claire has a book which is newly on to the Australian Book Lovers website, and it's called How to Survive Your Magical Family. So Claire, tell us a little bit about, well, actually, yeah, let's go into the book first, then you can tell us yeah. what you've been up to, because obviously yes. this is all about it. So How to Survive Your Magical Family. We hear it's from a dream, but what's it about? It's uh, about family and found family. 
basically. So um, our hero and heroine are Toby and Mia, who are 16-year-old next-door neighbours. Mm -hmm. Toby's family is magical, and magic in this book is part of the everyday. So it's kind of explained as magic is always there, but not everybody can see it and not everybody can use it. And it's also have a little bit, is magic part of nature that we're just beginning to understand in the same Mm -hmm. way as we understand, um, you know, germs that we didn't understand back in the day? Um, Or is it something special? Toby's family is magical, but he's not. All he can do is talk to cats. Okay, so, and he's worried that he's going to be flat. There's the flat world and the magic world. Ah. It's quite a, a conundrum for him because his dad is a famous surgeon. His uncle's a famous ER surgeon. His sister's a lawyer. His mother was a great lawyer too, but she disappeared from his life when he was six and he mm. doesn't really understand what happened. So the, um, the story revolves around Toby and his sister in the car the magic bangle thing happens he saves a cat who's been missing for decades who's an arch cat a magic cat and that means that something's going to go wrong in the magic world or the flat world because otherwise why else would catkin appear Mm. so that's kind of the the start of it and then we have two voices we have toby's voice as he kind of survives a kidnapping and works out how to use his magic and mia's voice uh, who's his best friend as she leads the hunt for him because he goes missing so they, they eventually come back together yeah so it's very a bit cool, of a, very a mismatch cool. yeah a and mystery he's... and a magic book yeah and, and you mentioned Claire that cats. Mm. Oh, well, magic. I'll, I'll take <laughs> Toby. Uh, I'll, I'll be flat and Toby if I could talk to cats. That's no problem. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Bring exactly, on the flat yeah. world. <laughs> but uh, Claire, you mentioned the book uh, is kind of for a bit of a in between demographic. Well, a somewhat perceived in between demographic. So you mentioned was it the uh, the fourteen to sixteen? Uh, about, no, about the eleven to fourteen. Uh, eleven to fourteen. My apologies. Is the kind of sweet spot. No, that's okay. It's um. It's the top end of middle grade and the bottom end of YA. It doesn't actually have um, its own. I'm sure the industry will come up with a with a name for it. Uh, we're just calling it in between books. Yeah, um, in between is good. Yeah, we've so got these a, are kids who are what about grade five? Yeah, five, six, six seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah, is the kind yep. of um, is is the the people who are really enjoying it, and a lot of readers are saying, "I wish I'd had this book when I was 11. Oh, which, oh, which I think go. is really lovely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Now, you're talking to cat people, and I can see on your website, which is all new and lovely since last I looked, because I get oh, your good. blog and yes. I enjoy that. Yes. And there's a picture there of a cat, Darren, who looks a little bit like a certain Bobby oh, who lives at your oh, place. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. I will have to have so a look. Cat Flax, um, who belongs to Toby. He's, he's a Maine Coon. Yeah. Ah, okay. One of the Flexes, big cats. Yes, oh, it's a big, gorgeous. big cat. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Well, we could we could gush about cats all day, but um, <laughs> tell me, there's some special elements in the book that are a part of the design, and the cover is just magical. It's it's yeah, just it's two colours. It's it's like a a pale kind of washed yellow, but then there's this gorgeous flat cat and gumbly. So tell us about how that came about. Uh, I wanted to brand my publisher, um, Odyssey Books, uh, Michelle will always ask me, what do I want on the cover? I know that's Mm -hmm. not always the case with everybody's um, publishers. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes you're not involved at all. And I said, I think it needs to have a cat because it's based around cat and I want cat people to know there's cats in it. Yes. Um, And I want, you know, 
my general readers, dog people don't know, okay, this one's got cats. Plus it will. <laughs> but I also wanted it to be very Australian because it's an Australian adventure. Um, so I thought of gum leaves. Um, now the cover designer is Elijah Toten, who's done all my books, very different genres. I'm a bit of a difficult yeah. author because I write across genres. Um, and I think he's done a fabulous job. And we've reused the stylized cat to do um, section breaks mm -hmm. and the little gum leaves on the top of each chapter, just as a kind of a, a washout. But as you write, two colors, the, yeah. the lemon and black, and it's come up really, I'm really happy with it. Love yeah, it. clean and yeah. crisp. And, and the funny thing is where the image of the cat looks obviously amazing. And then, uh, but it also comes across as uh, almost like a house, if that makes sense. Yes, uh, yes. You, and so that was a, that's a really nice design because obviously the yeah. house being for the family. So. For the family. And it's it's also kind of like a doorway too. I yes. thought it's kind of enter enter here. What's a absolutely. In enter, enter, sorry, enter here, all dog lovers, for you yeah. shall be converted. <laughs> we'll be converted, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but Claire, yeah. you said you've uh, you obviously right across a lot of genres uh now that uh the new book's out are you working on anything uh, completely been, different again this this book has been um gestating for a while so um it was a little bit held up by the covid pandemic so it's actually published later than it was meant to be than it was oh, okay. originally scheduled so in the meantime to stop myself from going mad i've been writing short stories and editing so I've had a couple of, um, well, there are going to be two books with um, Australian speculative, speculative Fiction Group, um, Where the Weird Things Are. So I uh, wrote in that and also edited with um, mm. Austin, Austin Love Sheen. That. Nice. And there's a second volume of that coming out. And I also had a mad idea last year, walking around the park with a mask on <laughs> and my dog. Only I was going to say, not with a knife, hopefully. <laughs> no, no. Um, <laughs> listening to music from... Uh, ABC Classic. There's a show called The Game Show. It's music from video games. I don't oh, play video wow. games, but I love the music and I find it very inspirational and very calming. And I thought this music sounds like uh, First World War kind of, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, War of the Worlds or something. Very symphonic and it made me think of, it, of T.S. Eliot, mm -hmm. The Wasteland. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know what would, would be cool? Some short stories based on T.S. Eliot on The ah. Wasteland. I don't know whether you know that poem. You might have done it at school well, or not. We um, spoke to Nikki Lee and she ah, told us a fantastic. little bit about right. how you were putting together yes. from this very strange yes. idea. So that's very lovely strange to hear idea. that that's where it came from. Well, I looked it up yeah. and I discovered that it's the centenary of that poem this mm. month in October 2022. So it was published it October 1922. <laughs> very bizarre. I put out a call for... Um, does anybody else want to join in this? Is this kind of weird? Um, and got together, um, 19 of us all together, and that's been oh, wow. published by PS Publishing in the UK. Oh, really? Hardcover, signed copies wow. coming out later this month. It's just so exciting. So it's great. I'm thrilled with that. What a yeah, way to come and... out of the uh, <laughs> pandemic. That's, yeah, exactly. And it did come out of the pandemic. Uh, me on my own listening to music, wandering around the park with Erin. <laughs> Uh, with a mask on going, this is kind of, you know, a bit boring, this is a bit dull, this is a bit sad. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so I've, I have kept busy um, and a few short stories accepted, including a romance one. 
So Excellent. I'm hoping next year that I'll be able to put together a collection. Might be the next book that comes out is a collection of short stories. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, cool. D- definitely and, busy, busy, busy. Well, um, ideas don't stop, do they? No. no. They never do. <laughs> no. Listen to the writers. We're going, no. Yeah. no Even no. the really bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> they just keep coming at you. They just keep flying at you. So, And something has to be done with them. So, And nobody else is going to write your book. No, yes. oh, there you exactly. Go. Somebody yes. else might fold the washing, but they're not oh. going to write your book. You can't yeah. see, but you know we are in the uh, writers' lounge, and I've just listened to my drink to uh, cheers to that that uh, yes, statement. Yes, yes. Nobody <laughs> else is going to write your book. I think that one goes on a coffee mug and a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> but can I just say that as I whinged about nobody being able to finish the editing for the you know second volume that I'm working on, my husband said, "Look, just don't." Fold the washing, just leave it to me. I'll, I'll fold it when I get home. Ah, yes. Isn't he a sweetie? And that's really lovely. Yeah. yeah. And it's just one little thing because you think, oh, I'll just do that. I'll just do that. And working yes, from home, yes. um, you know, I tend to, you know, you do some client work and then you dash out and throw the washing on and you dash out and do this, that, and the other. So, yes, I might it's, just have to take him It's very up on dangerous that we need to take ourselves seriously yes. before anybody else will. Yeah, yeah, good point. Absolutely. If, yeah. if we were surgeons, they wouldn't say fold the washing before you get no. started. <laughs> Although I do yeah. know Lisa Kenway, who's uh, one of the Oz writers, she's an anaesthetist, so uh, uh, yes. I, she's got yeah. kids too. I suspect she still folds her washing. Uh, yes. I must ask yeah. her that. Uh, yeah. Yes, so take ourselves seriously. Now you also are At blogging. least for an hour a day. At least for an hour a day, that's <laughs> yeah. it. And are you still doing reviews for Aurealis? I am, I yeah. am. I'm just yeah. um, absolutely loving it. So I've just got a couple to finish off for this year because November's the last issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fabulous way to keep up with what's being published yep. in our speculative fiction genres. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also get feedback on my writing. So I have to write a review in under 350 words, under right. 300 Ooh, um, for preference um, mm. and I love working with the editor so Eugene mm-hmm. Bacon's the editor and we just have this back and forth mm-hmm. um, we do pretty well and I think it's really honed my writing I think it's excellent yeah that's good that's good I am um, subscribed to Aurealis but I must admit they sit there on my email for a while I think oh no I must get there I'm a terrible at over subscribing to yes, books yes. and reviews and things and uh, yeah I have to be a little bit careful because spending too much time reading even though it's research <laughs> saw me inverted you know uh, yes talking marks there research yeah it's a little bit tempting to read somebody else and it can also get a little bit da- uh, disheartened you know I've just gone through Kate Elliott's fabulous Crown of Stars ah, series yes. again which yeah. I'm missing the last book I've given it away to somebody and I have to go and find it again um, but it's like oh, this world I love the really complex yes. deep worlds full of you know there she's got religion and politics and yes. oh yeah. so many relationships but and anyway. all those she has all those competing interests yes yeah. yeah absolutely and you don't know who to barrack for but yeah no so. no which is good yeah <laughs> but anyway back to ours and back to yours so thank you for sharing how to survive your magical family tell us where people can find you on the interwebs when you're not in the writer's lounge <laughs> with darren and i yeah just clairroden.com yeah. Yeah, nice easy one nice yeah. easy one yeah well i have well, a couple of uh quick questions for you Claire. oh good yes so the first one i know that uh, you are a dog lover and obviously a cat features in your latest book in the real world if you had to assign magic powers to just one of the animals the dog or the cat which one would be the safer option 
Oh, the dog. <laughs> really? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say you've slid down just a oh, notch yes, there sorry. on the ladder, oh, Claire. I'm, I'm, I can just a bit, I imagine like fridges opening all across the house. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and all the food flying off the shelves. I suppose we. I probably should say, you know, let's let's define safe. You know, what's the safest oh, option yeah. first? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's right. The, the cat, I think. What don't they say cats have um, dogs yeah, cats have owners have, and cats have cats servants? Have servants. Yeah. That's exactly that's right. True, they yeah. certainly do. Actually, yeah. Now you've maybe scared about giving cat power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, of course, the cats in my book uh, have powers for good. Of course, uh, of course, of course. Of course. Of course. They, 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 they cannot be evil. There's not a bone no, in their no, body. No, no, no. yes. <laughs> But my, and my second one is now Toby has the power. The character in your book has the power yes. to talk to cats. Yes. As you know, being a teenager, he's probably uh, got a good appetite. So if you had to name a special hamburger after his ability to talk to cats, what do you think the hamburger would Ooh, be? Ooh, that's a very. Oh, it would have to be the um, feline special, wouldn't it? Oh, okay. Sounds like it's got cat meat in it. Yes, it might. <laughs> 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 yes, we might have to workshop that a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was thinking maybe special feline, but even that. <laughs> well, his middle name is Felix, so maybe we could just call it, you know, Ooh. the Felix. Like, you know, you have the Reuben. Maybe we just call mm. it the Felix. Yeah, yeah. Felix uh, Double Pounder or something. Yes, like yes, that. that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, a big clink clink cheers, Claire. Yes, thank uh, you. For popping in and uh, joining us in the lounge and uh, for your short stories and for the submission of your brand new book and, you know, for always being such a fun part of the Australian <laughs> Book Lovers. And, you know, hope we will definitely, hopefully, uh, do this again real soon. And, yes, uh, that would be lovely. Wishing you all the best of luck for the new release. It looks fantastic and I think it's going to be a huge hit. Great. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, Veronica. Okay, take care. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Claire, for a fabulous visit to the Writers' Lounge. It was so good catching up and hearing all of the things. I'm just amazed at all of the things that she is able to put into her life in terms of writing, and that's all we hear about. I'm sure she's got lots of other stuff happening with her little dog, Aaron, etc. Love the inspiration that she got in the park. And, yeah, please keep a lookout for How to Survive Your Magical Family. I love I love that uh, a dream is the uh, the source of the, the yeah, story, especially a story about yeah. magic as well and magical yeah. cats. And um, but isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's that's just a cool thing about uh, this weird thing called life, isn't it? To have a dream, which is weird enough in itself, and now it's manifested as a as a really cool book. So yeah, well done. That's I love it. But uh, yeah, thank you so much, Claire. It was a pleasure having a drink with you uh, in the uh, writers' lounge. And uh, of course, the bar is always open, and we hope to see you there again <laughs> soon. Definitely the bar is open and it's time for quotes. I wanted to share with you, so uh, Oz writes, uh, which we know from uh, last episode, is the brainchild of the delightful Reb Langham and uh, Kevin Clare. Uh, now, in October's Oz writes prompts, one of them was to share one of your favourite quotes. So I've actually stolen this one from Elisa Dominique, who her Twitter handle is at with Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, and she's quoted from The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy. This is the quote, and I thought this was really good for the conversation that we had with Aaron and Michelle. 
and the air was full of thoughts and things to say. But at times like these, only the small things are ever said. Big things lurk unsaid inside. Hmm. That's, that? yeah, simmering. Yeah. Uh, uh, mind you, I think Aaron and, and Michelle have said the big things, but I really love the idea um, that the air was full of thoughts and things to say. And I feel like Australia is kind of there at the moment. Yeah, and maybe sometimes there's those moments in time where there are the big things that can be talked about, but the fact that you know that each person's feeling it mm. and, so, and sometimes the small talk kind of, I don't know, it seems fitting yeah, <laughs> in a weird yeah. way. It, 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 it can be an opener or, or it can be allegory or it can just be a gentle way in to, yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah, nice okay. quote. Yeah, what do you got? Okay, I have a quote by John Hume. So... Um, yeah, just thinking about the conversation we had with Aaron and Michelle, and uh, you know, the how we trying to re- re- revise our relationships and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know, just as a culture, how do we, how do we come together as culture? So, the quote is: "Difference is of the essence of humanity. Difference is an accident of birth, and it should therefore never be the source of hatred or conflict. The answer to difference is to respect it." Therein lies a most fundamental principle of peace, respect for diversity. So that was by John Hume. And I think Mm. that is, I just love that difference is an accident of birth. I mean, that's really, if if you want to shoot an arrow straight to the heart of the issue, it's either you haven't got two brain cells in your head and you assume that you chose somehow to be born where you were born and therefore that has some sort of power uh, or you realise you had no choice where you're born, and that meant nobody has any choice where they're born. We are all equally born into the world randomly. We are all random human beings. I, I just don't get where some you know when where, you know so many aspects of power and and let's say it racism come from people feeling as though they represent something that they control or chose mm. um, when that's mm. not the case at all. Difference is an accident of birth. And like uh, I think Richard Dawkins once wrote, you know, uh, all babies are born religiously neutral. Yeah. And I think Too that's true. very similar. And, yeah. and same thing, what happens beyond that is comes down to society. And I think the same thing uh, when it comes to our culture. But, yeah, so that, uh, that really... Uh, that really touched me. That uh, that quote touched me. Mm. You know, as in such a couple of words just went bam. Difference is an accident of birth. I love it. So there we oh, go. Yes. yes. And if you want to see more fabulous quotes, jump onto Twitter, onto the Oz Rights hashtag, and have a look at. Uh, I think it was day four, fourth, fourth of October. Um, yeah, brilliant quotes. Lots of brilliant quotes there. Really good. Oh, good. Uh, I, I did. Sneak a couple in, of course. All right. And if you want to find Australian book lovers on social media, on Twitter we are at Australian Books. On Instagram we are at Australian Book Lovers. And we are also on LinkedIn and YouTube. For readers, jump onto AustralianBookLovers.com, pour over the new books, go into your favourite genre page, look at those fabulous little Australian animals and birds that we have there who are our icons, courtesy of the fabulous Steve, and pick a book, pick an Australian book, listen to a story, get yourself into one of those. And if you are an Australian author of either short stories or novels, please jump onto australianbooklovers.com forward slash for authors and submit your book 
for free and we may well be happy to chat to you on the podcast or to put you in the newsletter or give away a story, invite you to the writer's lounge, all those kind of things. So please, if you want to keep us going, give us a star on one of the uh, podcasting platforms or let us know what you like about the show or give us some ideas for some new segments because we always like to mix it up and keep things interesting. Absolutely. So don't forget on the top of the podcast page on the website, there is a feedback button. Yes. Click click that. You can send in a recording and just say hello. If you are a horror writer out there, you know it is spooky ooky time of the year. <laughs> so if you want to slam up an, a short story, a good scary short story and pop it on our short stories on the website, um, you know, then we would uh, love to read it for possibly a Halloween special coming up. So you've got a horror short story. If you want to write a horror short story, get it in and let's make it a fun uh, Halloween for 2022, which by the way, I'm very excited because... I get to see the original Halloween movie on the big screen, <laughs> and then I can see the latest Halloween movie, so Halloween Ends, on the big screen. So old, old with new. There we go. And of course, gonna I've got dug up some old horror books. But anyway, tagline, Veronica. Yes, I, I have an idea. Before you go tagline, I do mm-hmm. want to say that thanks to the fabulous Alan and Unwan. Thank you very Ooh. much, Alan and Unwan. We have got two yes. brilliant crime stories to give away to our newsletter subscribers. So we have got Chris Hammer's The Tilt, which is just coming out, and we'll be chatting to Chris Hammer very soon. Um, And that is The Darkest Secrets Lie Closest to Home. So he is a brilliant Australian um, crime writer. And we also have a copy of The Liars by Petronella McGovern. So if you would like to win uh, one of these free copies of either The Liars by Petronella McGovern or The Tilt by Chris Hammer, um, both published by Alan and Unwin, jump onto australianbooklovers.com forward slash booklovers, subscribe to our newsletter and you could be in the running. These are just for our subscribers. So it's we have one very lucky uh, subscriber who I think has won three books over the, the 12 months. So sometimes it's what they say and sometimes there are so many that I just have to spin them in the random wheel and they come out. So jump on there, register your name and email and you are in the draw. Absolutely. But it's funny you mentioned the uh, the person that won three times because did you yeah. see on the news that uh, just recently... 430 something people won the jackpot in a uh you know in a, in a sort of lotto thing uh, I, I can't remember which country it was and of course that, that so there's going to be an investigation and but the, the irony is if you said you know they want your money and if i said well, yeah. what are the odds of me winning yeah well you know it'd be like 23 million to one okay <laughs> well what are the odds of at one point in time 400 winners yes <laughs> same odds <laughs> That's called gambling. You can't yes. you can't start uh, you know investigating it when you lose. So, but yeah. anyway, that was quite interesting. But yes, nonetheless, uh, thank you so much to Alan Unwin. Uh, this is going to be yep. great. And of course, we've got an interview coming up next episode. In the meantime, and we're in. also chatting to Petronella McGovern later in the year. I know she's um, we have her on the schedule, which is fantastic. So oh great. yes, of course. We've got lots of fantastic guests coming up. So definitely. So the uh, spring's only just begun. We are going to have a huge spring and summer. It's going to be amazing. But in the meantime, tagline. Mm-hmm. I, as I was mentioning, I do have an idea. Okay. We've, we've, we've covered. Yeah, we've covered some pretty serious topics, and as we 
you know, which we needed to, and it was a great opportunity to discuss. But I thought maybe have it a little bit of fun. And uh, as as we know that uh, back in the day, uh, Aaron was actually a bouncer at King's Cross, which would have <laughs> okay. come with its own adventures. So I'm thinking we are bouncers. We're both standing at the door. But the entry is you've got to have an Australian book. Mm. So we say, quick, we see your book. Oh, I didn't bring a book. And then we say, well, remember... You need okay. to, <laughs> and I'll I'll put you know the sounds of King's Cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right we can uh, we can do our bouncer voice, uh, something along those lines. I don't know what a bouncer voice bouncer is. Bouncer voice. But... Let me just think about that. I have no idea. Oh, right. it's, it's been very a dead. while since I was at a disco, Darren. Yeah, very. Dead Back in hair. the seventies, you know, we spoke about that. Oh no, the eighties actually. I was a, just as in the eighties. Anyway, okay. Well, you got to put right your hands, down. you know, hand, lock your arms across your chest. <laughs> Remember, you're not even looking at him. You're looking straight over the top of them. <laughs> so, here we go. And uh, I'll kick it off. Um. Can I see you straight up there? Oh, sorry. You're going to have to remember to. Read more. Aussie books. Don't worry, you got one. <laughs> <laughs> go get it now. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> Another shockingly <laughs> bad attempt at uh, a tagline. Thank you to everyone for joining episode 69. So many great guests, so many great books. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Tips. Thank you, yep. Aaron. Thank you, Claire. Thank you to authors for the new submissions. Yeah, so, so much to uh, explore. And we can't wait to join you on episode, whoa, number 70. So, yes. But uh, in the meantime, take care. Bye for now. Let's meet again. Where magic happens. Australian Book Lovers acknowledges First Nations peoples and recognises their continuous connection to country, community and culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and honour the sharing of traditional stories passed down through generations. We're committed to a safe and inclusive welcome for authors and readers of all cultures and backgrounds including people of LGBTQIA plus communities and their families.